Brzezinski was the strategist for Jimmy Carter and convinced Jimmy Carter to say, look, uh, the Russians are dominating uh, Afghanistan with a civilian secular government. Let's create al-Qaeda. Let's uh, back Osama bin Laden and give his supporters weapons to begin fighting the Russians, and uh, we can pull a coup d'etat there, and uh, the Russians will fight back, and then we'll say the Russians invaded. And it worked. Saudi Arabia made a deal with America that they would push the Wahhabi uh, extremists, uh, the al-Qaeda, the most right-wing wing of Islamic parties, and it worked. Uh, essentially, al-Qaeda is a contract army uh, for the United States. Well, the same thing was happening in, in Russia. What Brzezinski wrote was that America's faced with a possibility of not being able to rule the world unilaterally. Any country's economic ability to be self-sufficient means uh, a potential military power. And in order to prevent any country from threatening America militarily, you have to prevent it from developing economically. Uh, the American nightmare, Brzezinski wrote, was that Russia would get together with Germany and with Western Europe, creating Russian raw materials, German industry, and somehow, finally, Russia would become westernized. Uh, America, uh, under Brzezinski's uh, strategy, said this would be a disaster because if Russia's westernized, if it becomes democratic, if... if uh, uh, Europe and Russia are prosperous, then we cannot control them anymore, and they will have no reason to be NATO. We've got to stop Russia, and the place to stop this Russian-European uh, conglomeration is to split it right at the border uh, down Ukraine. Let's do in Ukraine what uh, we did in Afghanistan. Let's uh, back the crazies. Well, most of them are uh, the, the former uh, neo-Nazi groups that have been uh, uh, so prominent that fly the Nazi flag. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. We just had a really fantastically concise show, about four hours of it yesterday. Make sure you don't miss that. Really great show yesterday. It was a lot, a lot to talk about. Four hours is even a lot for me. Today is a follow-up to yesterday's show. I wasn't planning on getting into a show today, but there was a few things that I really wanted to connect right away with what we talked about yesterday. And that's, it's a connected the whole discussion of the Azov movement Patriot Front connection which we've done before but I wanted to go over a really great thread that I found from somebody and and keep this going in people's minds with where I think it's going and then how that is connecting interestingly with the overlap with Ukraine and the vanilla ISIS MAGA trap project aerodynamics CIA discussion which we've gone over at length ad nauseum but show and, and how that overlaps with the recent discussion of the of depleted uranium now, what's interesting is somebody put that article in front of me yesterday, and I had already been talking about how the U.S. and the U.K. have now openly branded, just openly, like almost bragging about the fact that they have sent depleted uranium to Ukraine. And despite all the history of Iraq and all the hit, the research, which we're going to go over today, the, the, the reality of how it's not just chemically dangerous, it's in fact also radioactive. Yes, lower than what you might expect in other, other you know, natural uranium or enriched uranium. But it's still dangerous, despite all the corporate media now screaming that it's not actually even radioactive and Putin lied about that. Well, they're wrong. 
Now, I, I take issue with arguing it's going to be some kind of a Chernobyl event, but depends on what exactly you think he meant in regard to just this or the act, the giving of these kind of weapons to people like we're talking about in Ukraine. But the interesting overlap is to what just happened with the explosion. I was doing the show yesterday, and I had seen the explosion. I kind of earmarked it for a future discussion, actually more so in almost like an environmental point about what happened there and what that probably caused and you know that kind of stuff. Because explosion, war, it wasn't like a big standout for me until somebody put together the depleted uranium possibility. Now, we're going to go over that today and the disputed conversation about whether that was depleted uranium munitions, whether it was even a, a ammunition depot and all the conversations being had. And use that just as always to kind of let's give the data, the facts we have and let you come to your conclusions, but end with the point about the reality of the scientific research and their own studies into what this can do, what it is doing and what it is going to, whether we're talking the chemical side of it or rather the more, the more appropriate way to understand it is the metal component and what that metal toxic toxicity is, which is different than the radioactivity, the gamma and the other word I will get into today and what the, the, the uh, ice, uh, I don't want to misquote it. I'm not an expert on this topic, but going through the research, it's very clear what we're talking about, what they have discussed, what they know about what these things do. And, and I argue, and I think it's very easy to see, that's why they use them. Of course, they love to talk about the, 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 more, the density and how, oh, yes, it'll pierce through this and that. Well, yeah, there's other things that could be used for that. I find it more likely that it's all the other components that make this a dangerous weapon. And knowing that it's that dangerous, which it's why it's being used, the generational effects. And then, again, going back to asking if that was depleted uranium that just exploded, what that means and, and the points I'll make about that, both from the Russian side, if that was carried out by Russia and the United States and Ukraine. Very important stuff to get into. Before we start today, I did want to – there's three notes I wanted to put out really quickly I think are really important. I actually wanted to hold this up and show it to you live on the show, but it's, it's still a little bit wet. It's a brand new painting that was done for me, and I want to give you a shout out to uh, Andrea Fogel. Here's her card, in fact, if you guys wanted to check out her work. Let's see if it makes you guys can get the, the right shot of that. Can you see the number on there and everything? I hope so. There we go. Andrea Fogel. That it's just the, her name on here is the classic, the classy chicken lady. Now, she does this work as well as, as artistry and so on, and I just wanted to share with you what she just did for me. I mean, it really just, I'm speechless. Like, it almost makes me choke up even just talking or looking at this. But this, if you guys don't know, not too long ago, my, my beloved companion passed away. And it's been hard for me. And I've got, we, I've, you know, after a while, I decided to get the new one. And that's that, the new dog. And that is Sierra. And she's amazing. But it's, just, it's, it's something that's for people to understand. It's, very, it's, it's a hard thing. And I wanted to give a shout out to, one of, to somebody in our community who also, in our Discord, who recently just lost, some, lost a, a loved companion. And I just... I, I always say this, and I hate to. It's, ultimately, I just don't even understand how a person can, you know, it doesn't mean you have to love and, and have a dog, but if someone who doesn't have a compassion for an animal, like I just don't even know what the kind of, if you're a human being, I think that's my perspective. In any case, I just can't even express how much this means to me and what it means for her to go this, to, you know, take the, the, long, the, term, the time that it took to do this and the, 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 the not compassion, but, you know, the, the what. Who does this for somebody and takes this long? You know, it's, it's, it's somebody who has got a good heart. And it's just amazing to me. And it really captured her in such an amazing way. And anyway, I just want to give her a shout out for doing that and, and what an amazing person she is. And she shared with me her story about why my work is important to her. She has a vaccine injured daughter. And, and I mean, I, well, I guess I don't know if she wanted me to say that. But in any case, 
the point is that you know that means are this work and what we're doing and and you're com- working from the from the from the community and from the chat and all, everything this this what we're doing as a community is important to people and it makes a difference in people's lives and it really does matter you know if everything else falls away and this falls away tomorrow and i, I you know i have to go back to working in a kitchen this stuff matters and it always will matter and everybody's lives that we have changed and affected and saved will always matter no matter what goes forward. So thank you, Andrea. It means a lot to me, more than I could even possibly express. Now, I also wanted to point this out that I, I we recently had the fundraiser and we and, and Scott actually set this up with the uh, Blue Frog. Uh, oh, it doesn't even show the name of the the group on here. Well, it's the Blue Frog, the Blue Frog, the t-shirt company we recently shouted out. They're great people. We had, they were on the fundraiser. We talked to them for a bit and we had this this limited edition shirt. And I just really like this shirt, and it always seems to draw attention, both because the front of it says for the podcast, free speech absolutist, you know, actual free speech absolutist, not the pretend kind of thing we're doing on Twitter. And then on the back, it says, I support the last American vagabond. And I just love it. It really does grab people's minds, both sides of it. I, I mean, I've been out with that shirt, and people walk up and go, oh, I love the last American vagabond. I'm like, oh, I am the last American vagabond. And, you know, and it just really grabs everyone's attention. And so I decided to do it again. So we put this back out there. I don't think this will be limited. It depends. We're, we're just going to kind of let it go for a bit, and maybe it'll be another static shirt we do going forward. But I, I just thought it was worth giving you guys another opportunity to check it out. So this link will be included. It's You can see it right here, but it will be in the show notes when I'm done. Um, it's just it's just a tlavfreespeech.itemo. Yeah, well, that's going to screw it up. tlavfreespeech.itemor. Oh, it's item order. I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> tlabfreespeech.itemorder.com forward slash shop forward slash home. It'll put it in the show notes. The point is that you guys can order these if you'd like to support The Last American Vagabond. And it will also support Blue Frog. And, you know, they take care of all of this and you get the shirt sent out to you and they're great shirts. And I just I just like the shirt. So I wanted to give another opportunity for you guys to check it out. So that'll be included in there. And as well as make sure, just since we're talking about it, that you guys continue to check out the, the great stuff on Truth Clothing. Misspelled. There we go. Truthclothing.io. Right there on the front page, question everything, and you can see under the partners, we have T-Lab, Slow News Day, and then Lip to Veil is, is Nathan, who runs this in general. But here is the T-Lab. we got all sorts of different shirts and stuff you guys can check out. So on that note, one more thing before we get started. I, I want to give you guys, I need your help on what's going on with locals. I'm trying to get our streaming set up over there. I think it was in beta, when, and it might not be anymore. I'm not sure, and that would explain why they're having some hitches here and there. But from my end, this is what I can see. So right now we're supposedly live on, on, on locals, and I do think it is live. It just I have this from the back end to get the settings and so on. But when I'm done, all I can ever see is it's, a, it's 30 minutes. I mean, even right here, it says time remaining, 24 minutes. I don't even understand what this is or how this works. Maybe I'm confused on locals, but let me know from your end. If you guys have locals or if you are watching it from your end, are you able to see the full stream? Let me know what's going on. I, I, I'm not getting any response from them, but I have, I've only reached out once on email, but I want to end up finding out. I'd like to make this work. I'd like to stream as many places as possible. So on that note, and you can follow us on Locals. I do post this every time, but I'd like to get the streaming going. So let me know if you do watch here what I'm missing or what if, if you can see the full show. Now, let's get right into this. Now, there's only two main topics I'm going to cover today. And, and, you know, as always, when I have... But I feel like I have limited, like a short, like it's going to be a short show and I don't feel stressed with time. I end up taking even longer, which I'm doing right now. But so let's try to make this not very long. So I would like people to be able to follow up on this. But I'm going to go through both these topics. So the Azov movement, Patriot Front overlap, and then specifically the depleted uranium overlap and what that means and the two stories and how they connect. And the, and the, the research, the studies 
the science around whether these things are dangerous going back a decade, which they know. They know these things are dangerous. So I recently did this just yesterday. The U.S. government's toxic legacy. And again, a shout out to the person I, I gave them credit yesterday who shared that with me. Thank you. I really important, I think, to overlap that story, both of what just happened, but just the military footprint of the U.S. government all around the world. This stuff is happening literally everywhere. And it's not just depleted uranium. It's these burn pits where they burn plastics and technology and tires and munitions and, and which cause lasting generational problems. I'm going to briefly go over some of the points in an article I just talked about, the birth effects and toxic legacy toward the end, just to kind of make reference points. But if you want to watch the full thing, it's an important discussion. The government's toxic legacy, the war on America, oh, excuse me, domestic terrorism, and E-Verify and the partisan trap. That point simply just pointing out that yet again, people that were you know, ready to die on the hill that we're not going to allow biosurveillance in the Great Reset are suddenly going, oh, accept them, immigrants. We need to surveil all of them. And it's just, even if you think it's the right move, realize how easily they use these wedge issues to drive you to accept something you moments ago said would never happen. Just like with the trans conversation of the Second Amendment. And it's, it's how this game works. But that's the full show if you'd like to check it out. One other point I'd like to start with in general was uh, some Twitter points before we get into the bigger conversation. And, and this has to do with two different things. One is that I was having a conversation with somebody today and, you know, maybe I misunderstood where they were coming from. I don't know. I'm just getting frustrated with people out there that seem to be assuming about things and, and you know, kind of making it a public statement. But maybe I misunderstood. But at the end of the day, there's a couple of things I wanted to point out with censorship and manipulation on Twitter. And one of these weird things is about the blue check mark, And what's apparently as of today, I guess, it doesn't even say blue anymore. It just says this count is verified, which is interesting. But what I wanted to show people is how how this is such a strange thing. And I've been very transparent about this entire process from the very beginning. I was censored on Twitter numerous times. Elon took back over. My point was, well, if I get my account back, sure, I'll sign up for Blue. I, I, I said that very openly. Really, the point was I never thought that would actually happen. But then when my account was reinstated, I said, okay, well, I'm a man of my word. And I went through and I subscribed, which I don't really care about that much. I don't know why there's this big divide. I mean, I was always one to point out the blue check, all the blue checks, but I never acted like that was every single person everywhere that had, it was more of the, the comment about the media and that kind of idea. But either way, the main point is that I did it. I reached out, I, I hit the button and then, for, and, and I had the, after a moment, the blue check showed up and I was never once charged for it. I never once got any of the benefits from it. I never was able to do long tweets. I was never able to do long videos or any of that stuff. And I just said, whatever, I don't, I'm happy to not be paying for this. And But I was never subscribed, technically. I don't understand what that means. But again, to be clear, yes, I did say, I'll sign up for Blue. But all that really was is the phone number, which was already on Twitter. So for the people acting like this is somehow a step into the Great Reset, it's no different than already being on Twitter. I didn't have to do anything new. I already had my phone number on there from a long time ago. So just press the button and it went forward. But here you can see it says I'm not subscribed. I don't understand why i've reached out to them only because i wanted to actually and this is public information for those that don't see that i reached out to them to go hey why can't i get subscriptions because i said hey i'll try subscriptions right was it this one yeah monetization you can sign up for subscriptions hey okay let's give it a shot check eligibility oh look except it says that i'm not subscribed to twitter blue (laughs) subscribe to twitter blue or verified organizations Right. So my point is either whether it's blue or I'm just verified, it's acting like neither is true. I don't understand what that means. So people that are pretending like I'm somehow lying about this or I just don't understand why people are so quick to assume into what they want. Yeah, it's it's strange. I don't understand it. 
But what's very weird about it is this seems to be happening to a lot of people, even people out there like people that are acting like Twitter's like framing them. How dare you give me a blue check mark? I didn't know that, but I don't know. I don't really know what's going on, but I do think there's something weird about this. The way that they're using this, the manipulating the conversation. In any case, I think it's important to see that it's not about some kind of surreptitious concept. It's about the idea of doing what I said I was going to do. And what we're seeing going forward is that there's a lot of stuff still happening on Twitter that is actually still censorship, whether or not I got my account back and so on, which is ultimately that Decensored News pointed out today that the Gab CEO, and I've showed you this on my account as well, is continuing to have his tweets essentially suppressed, obfuscated, where he'll respond directly to Elon Musk. And then when you search for those tweets, they don't show up. And you'll, I've, you've seen me do this on the show where you look for direct things. And I, I've made this point literally about Elon's account. And I think probably it's just a personal thing that he did because he controls the entire platform. But either way, the Gab CEO who's saying false, Elon, you're wrong about something. You search for it. It literally doesn't show up. So g- good on you, decentralized news, pointing it out. And he did follow up and made sure to cross-reference this with other accounts responding to Elon. And all of them showed up. So it just shows you that there's an obvious effort to kind of, you know, whether that's a personal choice or anything else, that there's still absolutely censorship happening on Twitter. And on that note, here's International Business Times pointing out Elon Musk gives in to government pressure, which you guys probably already saw, and censors tweets before Turkey election. And this is what their little subtext, subtext is. Musk has complied with more than 80% of the government demands for censorship since taking over Twitter per report by rest of the world. This is from yesterday. Now it says Elon Musk, a self-proclaimed free speech absolutist. Hey, you want, you want to actually... You know, here's a shirt if you want to join the actual free speech absolutist, you know, people that are willing to walk difficult lines and make cases about what free speech actually is, even though it's defending the worst speech out there, not actions, but speech. But it says repeatedly censor the Twitter accounts of opponents of the Turkish government. On Saturday, Twitter blocked some of the posts in Turkey just a day before the most hotly contested Turkish elections in decades. I think that was it in here. The main point is just that that's, you know, this is kind of a round topic that that's happening. Now, there's. The nuance of it shouldn't ultimately matter. If he is taking action at the behest of a government or personally in suppressing certain speech that doesn't even seem to violate their terms of service, what what are we talking about here? And then on top of that, that they're still actively censoring hate speech. I thought I had a point. I thought I had a anyway. The point I, the, we've talked about that. It's directly in their terms of service. Working with the ADL, directly censoring. We just showed you yesterday somebody who simply said trannies can't hang with the big boys. And that was literally suppressed. And it had a big thing that said this is now. And you had to click on it to see what he said. Like that's suppression. Why? Because we're not because we, it's, we're not allowed to hear things that make us feel bad. I mean, it just seems absolutely ridiculous. And that is on Elon's absolute free speech platform. Come on. Come on. Now, one thing I want to include before we go forward, I found really interesting is Elon Musk, if you hadn't seen it, was actually just subpoenaed in the J.P. Morgan Epstein suit. This is from yesterday. Elon was issued a subpoena by the U.S. Virgin Islands in its lawsuit accusing J.P. Morgan Chase and company of knowingly benefiting from Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking. The U.S. Territory said its court papers in its court papers it had reason to believe Epstein may have referred or attempted to refer Musk, Elon Musk, to J.P. Morgan as a client. Several other billionaires, including Google co-founder Larry Page and Sergey Brin, have also been issued subpoenas. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Of course, Elon is saying, fake, ridiculous, on every account. That's idiotic on so many levels. Now, maybe he's telling the truth. But you know how easy this is right now? It's just, like, obviously the point would be he would say that, especially if he was actually guilty. 
but realized that with Trump, for example, you know, the whole thing with the case, like, I don't even know where to place that because I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt for a second that Trump would do something like that. But I, I would also not doubt for a second that people would politicize this or accuse him of things that were false because they hate Donald Trump. The problem is that people who are stuck in the paradigm only see one side of that discussion and will act like if this is happening, well, therefore he's being persecuted as a truth teller, even though maybe he did do it. On the other side, it's the absolute he did do it, no matter what, even though you can see that they're clearly kind of lying about stuff. So it's interesting, as always, that the two-party paradigm breaks logic. But what I point out here is that in this case, when we're talking about, let's say, for example, Sergey Brin, are all these same people out there going, but wait a minute, we don't know for sure. Sergey Brin might be being accused because, he, well, because he's on the bad guy, because Google. And, you know, so the point is we're happy to blindly take that at face value and say he is a bad guy because he's on that list or whatever connection. And then we see maybe a similar connection with somebody like Musk, and they go, no, can't be true because he said so. It's just a choice, ultimately. It's the same point to saying that just because everybody ended up in that location or was on some list or was flying somewhere, it doesn't guarantee that they were part of some sexual endeavors. I would absolutely ask that question. Very good. I mean, I'll tell you, if I was in those positions, I wouldn't venture into. I mean, look, people aren't stupid. Everybody, in, especially in the inner circles, were generally aware there was some weird stuff going on in the Epstein circles. That's what we're finding out today. So people that, you know, pretended willful ignorance wise and got on the plane and acted like they didn't know. I don't know if I buy that. But it doesn't mean can prove it. That matters. So in this case, it's interesting to see this develop when there are some overlaps here. Now, it's the Musk's attorney, Alex Shapiro, or Spiro, didn't respond to questions about the subpoena via email, but the Tesla, but Elon Musk offered, he, he addressed the issue on Twitter, saying, again, it's idiotic on so many levels. This, the Cretan never advised me on anything whatsoever. The notion that I would never or listen to finance, that I would need or listen to financial advice from a dumb crook is absurd. JP Morgan, JP, uh, JP Morgan let Tesla down 10 years ago, despite having Tesla's global commercial banking business, which we then withdrew. I never forgave them. Now, you know, I'm not saying I dis, I'm not saying I think he's lying. I, I don't know. But the obvious point to make is that I'm pretty sure he would say that, especially if he was definitely guilty or was definitely, you know, potentially going to be held accountable for something. But the U.S. VI subpoena seeks documents reflecting communications or meetings between Musk and J.P. Morgan or Musk and Epstein relating to the two men's accounts at the bank. It also seeks from Musk any documents, quote, regarding Epstein's involvement in human trafficking or concerning fees that Tesla CEO paid to Epstein or J.P. Morgan in connection with his accounts at the bank. Now, the other point to make, obviously, would be let's just take this from the other perspective that. Maybe he is being politically persecuted. Maybe they do see him as a threat, and this would be an easy way to just lay this topic out there without having to prove anything, right? That's a big, I mean, if I were in his position and there wasn't, you know, and there, this was idiotic and absurd, this, I'd be, I mean, obviously really upset about this because it's not hard to just float these ideas, and it's not hard to insert this somehow through some political structure through the Virgin Islands political system or through their judicial system and make this happen when really there's nothing there. Oh, we asked your questions and there's no connection. Okay, thanks. You're gone. No, th that was all we needed. And yet that still gets turned into what this is, the, co the conversation. Is he guilty? It's not hard to see how they could just float things like this and put them in that position. So that's being objective right there, because I think it's fair to, to ask both sides of this discussion. But either way, I think it's interesting to see that there are overlaps with these kind of people. And so that's why we should be very, very skeptical of anybody coming from the inner circle kind of conversation, whether that's Tucker Carlson or Elon Musk or anybody. For me, for me that includes someone like RFK Jr. And I know that hurts people's feelings. You, you know, we're not allowed to. We should question everything. If I, when I mean everything, I mean everything. 
doesn't mean we blindly assume he's a bad guy. Like I said before, especially in RFK's position, I am hoping, hoping that what he appears to be is correct in the general sense. You know, that he's just making his choices and sometimes they're wrong, but he's ultimately fighting for freedom and good. You know, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to vote anybody in the system when you say vote for me. <laughs> Right there, I'm like, well, yeah, that's I, I don't I don't believe it. I don't believe the system even makes sense. I don't believe your votes even translate. But that's a conversation for another day that I've had a hundred thousand times. So it's hard for me to go along with it. But like I said about Tulsi Gabbard, I'm saying, hey, she before multiple choices were made that made me think obviously she's not on your side, and that's in regard to siding with people like Clinton or you know and so on. That I thought she was an excellent candidate, and she is, and so is RFK. There's problems there though. My point is always is that the people on it should welcome critique and criticism. Now, on that note, let's talk about the many different other ones, specifically psychological operations that are actively being carried out. And the main point of this to follow up is in regard to the Patriot Front and the obvious, undeniable connections to the Azov movement, which we can then verifiably prove has been grown and stoked and used by the CIA and the U.S. government. It's not up for debate. Doesn't mean that every single person here is all a Fed. We don't know that, but we know for a fact that they've already admitted that they had insiders, plants inside the group, just like everything everywhere. So they do have agents on the ground inside this group. They've already admitted that. So, and historically, we can prove that the FBI has a very obvious track record of creating vents to then stop them. Even the New York Times wrote about that a decade ago. So, why wouldn't we ask that? There's a lot of things to consider. Now, this we talked about on April, June 12th, 2022, the Patriot Front, January 6th, and the Vanilla ISIS PSYOP. That's just kind of the name they actually coined, but in the term of, you know, this weird overlap of people who aren't actually white, like, you know, working with the right-wing American bad guys. And really, that's a clumsy way to patch together things like Iran and, you know, the Middle East terror conversation with the rising vanilla ISIS threat in the United States. That's what that was meant to, that's supposed to mean. And it was just the stupidest thing ever. It's like calling these, these somebody who is Hispanic a, a white supremacist. It's just, it's inherently dumb. doesn't mean that person can't be an extremist, but you're using a term that we know does not even make sense in the, in, in the language, but you know, whatever. But that's also the MAGA trap I've talked about, which I believe is yet meant to create a situation where people in the right wing either fall into these groups thinking they're doing something, which which really suggests that that's how they see them, which I don't even think is even remotely the lar- a fraction of this group, of all of them. Sure, they've got varying opinions, and some of them I don't agree with, but to argue that everybody or the majority of MAGA or Republicans or conservatives are all extremists is just stupid. I mean, at the core of this, and in fact, it's, it's undermining the very concept of what this country represents, but, you know, whatever. The MAGA trap is meant to drive them in there, but I think the point is that they misinterpret who these people are, but also to get them to act out in violence so then they can frame it that way. That's what I believe, and I think I've proven most of that. Here's some, Somebody sent me this, this tweet and just basically making the point about, and I've made this discussion, this pointed this out throughout the whole process, that weird how they handcuff them or whatever those little zip ties are, and they don't take their masks off. They don't take the – I mean, that's just – that's not even protocol. You can ask anybody. But on top of that, that or, or gloves or any of this stuff, I mean, there's it, there's a problem there. But the point is that those are, he says, USMC, U.S. military, or I think USMC was just U.S. government or military issued boots. Make that of what you will. <laughs> so they're all wearing the same kind. Well, maybe that's because possibly they want you to think that they're all military agents. That's possible, too. But the more you dig into this, it becomes interesting and obvious that I actually think that they want us to make this connection. 
They want us to go, oh, look, they all look like their feds are Asians because the main point was never to make this truly about just a bunch of radicalized Republicans, but rather, again, the bigger point that this is actually a coordinated effort coming from higher up, tying back to Russia and the different ones they want to blame all the rising vanilla ISIS threat on, right? So they need this to be some kind of internal thing. So it almost makes sense they would want you to think, oh, it actually is a bunch of federal agents, but it's the, it's the problem that we're highlighting on the Democrat side. It's the problem we keep showing you that even inside the military, even inside the FBI, that the Republicans are the problem, that they're the secret Nazis, right? That's where this seems to go for me. Now, I'm not, I mean, this is not even hard to patch together. This is exactly what we can prove in some cases, whether that's everything, that's for you to decide. Now, here's a, this, this, uh, this account, Woke Societies, did this interesting thread that I want to go through. Most of this you've already seen, but this is just kind of a good p, p, uh, thread, whatever I was going to say otherwise, of information that continues to connect a lot of these dots. But they make a little, a couple of different points that I think I want to go over that I slightly disagree on. But it says the Patriot Front is making its rounds all over Twitter. This was posted on the 14th of this month. And everyone thinks they're feds. Now, he says, I can promise you that's the, that's the service level take. They enjoy being called feds because it hides their true origins. This goes much deeper with ties to the Azov and Ukraine. Well, it, it's interesting. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And that's usually how this seems to go, right? That it, just because we're saying that, like, for instance, if this is what I'm talking about, which it is clearly the Azov movement, which was the CIA-grown concept that has then spread, that's sort of like the idea of the, 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 the moderate rebels concept. Now, whether or not the Saudi Wahhabism was seeded in the Middle East and grown using as a CIA operation, and whether or not that eventually got out of their control, and these groups just existed and they're no longer under the thumb of the, you know, that, that's something that's easy to see. I think even Saudi Arabia sort of admitted and alluded to that being the case. It still doesn't change the fact that it was still a government operation, right? That doesn't mean every single person in every terrorist group is all fed, but it means that it's very clearly being that it was created that way. And then in most cases, you have people at the top who are still leading these in the directions of their choosing, where the people underneath them all believe that they're doing it for some religious reason. I mean, Saudi Arabia has even spoken on the fact that most of these people and people have done research on this in these terrorist groups. I'm talking Middle East at this point aren't even necessarily religious. And that really does completely explode the narrative they want you to think, right? Because it's not really about what they're telling you. Now, in this case, he's arguing that right now the, the take on a lot of, I think Joe Rogan's the one that made this go very, despite, again, as usual, despite us harping on the Patriot Front and the obvious connections, Joe Rogan does a quick thing and talks about how they're obviously, you know, and then that goes everywhere, right? That's how that works today. Now, obviously, he's gigantic, but it's interesting, the controlled flow of information. But at the end of the day, that the narrative is now that they're all feds and we can prove that you can tell they're all just a bunch of feds, which is, we should ask that question. I'm simply saying that I think that they're being led or created by that, but you can prove that there's an obvious agenda here that maybe is out of control. That's for you to decide. But he says, as you all know, in the past articles that he's written, and you guys can look into that for yourself. I'm not sure exactly what he's referring to. To understand these groups, we have to find patterns of behavior or what I taught in school, modus operandi, you know, your MO, is the, idea that you're, the way you typically act. We begin with the Rise Above movement. The group was originally called the, D, the Do-It-Yourself DIY division, but changed its name in 2017. We actually talked about that a while ago. The group is based out of Orange County and San Diego, and their, their founder is Robert Rundo. We've talked about all these people. To summarize their ideology, they are neo-Nazis that have a fight club. 
They train to engage in fights. And I mean, that's a really, that's a crazy reduction of what it really is, to be quite honest. It's much, much, much bigger than that, but that's one part of it that does exist. They train to engage in fights, hand-to-hand combat, etc. They believe in physically beating down their enemies. Now, again, remember the Rise Above Movement, which you get into here, is the international arm of the Azov Movement. That's verifiable on FBI documents, on even Newsweek has covered that. Now, it says, the sc- this screenshot below is from the FBI criminal court. Oh, actually, here, I'll grab this one, too. I always include this. The one I've shared many times from the old account. Where, and this, this should give you the links and everything else to the, the documents. And this one's the FBI admitting that they're neo-Nazis long before they tried to you know, hide that. And here's the Newsweek article talking about, to the expert on the group, telling you that they're interna- they've gone international. Showing you right there. Rise Above Movement. It's in Italy. It's in Germany. Now, this is the screenshot. I believe this is from the similar. Yeah, I think that's even the exact same one. Oh, no, it's not point ten, but it's in the, it's the same document we're talking about. And he's simply showing you the Rise Above Movement represents itself publicly through videos and other public postings. It's combat ready. And it says right there the, uh, where was it? Yeah, right there, the Rundo, the guy we're talking about. That's what the point they're making. And he says, from FBI criminal, doc, criminal court documents from Special Agent Scott Beerworth, Beerworth, who was investigating the group in 2017-2018. You know, the group that they, they were all worried about up until the moment this began. And we see a lot of us just kind of exploded the idea this was directly tied to the CIA. And then they all started going, no, you're all misunderstanding it. They're not Nazis at all. It's like, then why were you investigating it? Why was everybody saying that right up until on a dime they started saying something else? It's just so sad how this works today. But it says, after digging further into Rundo, we found an alarming amount of ties between him and Ukraine, and specifically the Azov Battalion, or it's the Azov Movement now. right? That, and that's their own statements because it's become a movement, and it's much, much larger than the National Guard, than the political gr- group, than even the enforcement on the police, on the street. It's everywhere. They, they have immersed themselves in the entirety of this government, and I've made that very clear. And that's a reason why they're so desperate not to make you not for us not to see that because you can prove that ties directly back to the CIA and Operation Aerodynamic. And we've talked about that many times as well. Now it says Rundo at one point was living in many European countries like Serbia, Bosnia, and took many trips to Germany, Ukraine, and Italy. Isn't it interesting? You know, the three places we just where the, even Newsweek and the experts are telling you that they have expanded and their groups are present there. Now, even if you don't think there's a CIA tie, even though you can literally prove that using these documents, and I'll open that as well, actually, just so you have that. I think this is an important one to save. Read it for yourself. I mean, this is directly from CIA.gov, and it openly talks about building a fascist entity using, by the way, the Ukrainian uh, Organization for Ukrainian Nationalists and all the things that you can represent right now in Ukraine. But he's saying that below is a picture of Rundo fighting a member of the Aza Battalion in Kiev. Right here. He's in the blue. Now it says, now who now who run, who was Rundo meeting specifically in Ukraine? Well, you know we've talked about this. Olenia Semenkia. That's actually what Newsweek also talks about in regard to her being where was it? Uh, I thought it was right there. Wrong one, maybe? Oh, it's, a, this, it's this one here. So I know the Aza Battalion is a paramilitary unit of the Ukrainian National Guard, which is known for its ideology of Nazi ideology. Saying, yeah, the the, uh, the rise above member members movement members during their trip to Germany, Ukraine, and Italy met with Olenia Semenkia, the leader of the International Department for the National Corps, which is a political party in the Ukraine that was founded in 2016 out of the regiment of the Ukrainian military called the Azov Battalion. This is FBI information. 
So she has been described as the first lady of Ukrainian nationalism. Isn't it funny, by the way, that all these Democrats are screaming to support Ukraine and fight for Ukraine, and yet anybody who even half mentions nationalism in any context is a dangerous person in this country? Her pseudo-intellectualism and international networking with neo-fascist groups, as well as her guru-like command of the Azov movement in Ukraine, made her a formidable power behind the throne of the Kiev regime. That's a direct quote from what the, the, the article he's pointing at. What business was discussed, he asked. Well, Rise Above Movement was hosted by Olena Semenkia, head of the National Corps, as we just pointed out. And it says, with a neo-Nazi and white supremacist affiliations. That's, and this is, undebatable. This is not debatable. This is, this is the U.S. government documentation pointing this out. Semenkia later stated that Rundo and his counterparts, compatriots, excuse me, came to learn our ways and showed interest in learning how to create youth forces in the ways the Azov has. Now, this is showing the CIA agenda bleeding over into groups that then were used in the United States. And this is the point, that they infiltrated this, they created this. During her visit, the Rise Above member... I can't stop doing that. During her visit, the Rise Above movement members joined the Azov Battalion for sparring in this club, in the mixed martial arts club affiliated with the group. Rundo entered the MMA competition for white supremacists from across Europe, supposedly the first American to take part in the history of the event. While in Kiev, Rundo also got a tattoo of the Viking warrior logo, the White Rex, and the clothing label founded by Russian MMA fighter and Azov Battalion associate Denis Nikton. It says, Alenia has a knack for radicalizing Westerners, as can be described from the FBI court records. Okay, so they know that's happening. And yet, the moment the narrative shifts after February, they suddenly start saying that we should all be over there joining them and fighting them. But the FBI is on the record saying this is... How does that even possibly make sense? Now, either they changed their mind and nobody's talking about that, which is silly, or there was a reason they wanted you to think this was dangerous until suddenly they changed their mind and didn't want you to think it was dangerous anymore. Why would that be? Likely because things got exposed they didn't want you to see. It says she was dead set on these men learning their ways. <clears throat> it says, with all the recent events that have gone down between Russia and Ukraine, we are, are, we are all fully aware the United States government has no problem sending money and training to the military forces that reside there, and that certainly include the Azov movement, despite that being stated and illegal. Again, that's also in this discussion, but realize this one is from 2016. Congress has removed a ban on funding neo-Nazis. Now, at that time, they lied about this and said we banned it, and then they quietly removed it. As it says, under pressure from the Pentagon, Congress has stripped the spending bill of an amendment that prevented funds from falling in their hands. They knew it. it they knew it. On the record, they were saying these are dangerous fascist groups. They openly said, we're going to stop this or we're going to ban it. And then quietly, the Pentagon said, sorry, we can't do that. You got to take that down. Why would that happen? Because we see they're building what they're doing. This is a building agenda. Then in 2018, they banned it again. But guess what? They kept funding them anyway. Now, right in this current moment, you can literally read in, in standing documentation, legislation, that it says you're not allowed to arm this group. E that's either directly or indirectly. But they're doing that. End of story. <laughs> Period. You want to explain how that's not illegal? They don't care is the point. They just don't care. They don't think you're smart to, put the, to connect the dots. You are. Now, it says the same groups that our United States government has deemed enemy number one, white supremacists, is the same government that is inadvertently paying for their training. Now, here's the point. It's not inadvertently, guys. This is what we need to understand. Now, this is where I'm actually I think I'm going to reach out to this person and maybe we can do an interview because I think it seems to be on the right track. And, and who knows? Maybe I'm wrong and maybe he'll enlighten me. The point is 
that this is not up for debate, in my opinion, that this is not inadvertent. This is a, a classic agenda. It happened with the, the uh, Mujahideen in Afghanistan to fight the Soviet Union. This was also directed at the Soviet Union at this time in the Ukraine. Support for Ukrainian immig- the, the group and, and the, where was it here? Uh, Mykola Labed, who you can look up for yourself, is a known Nazi war criminal who the CIA worked with, rescued from Poland, who was about to be put to death, and then set him up in a company called Prologue in, the, in New York City. It's a media company. You have a Nazi spreading media information to people under the guise that it's a New York-U.S. company, and he was also operating out of the Ukraine. And that has grown since then, using all the same things we're talking about. And I, I don't have this highlighted, but I've read, I've went through this in depth before. And it's very clear to see what's actually going on. But not inadvertently, right? So they're lying to you going, white supremacist. Now, I'm going to point out a tweet. Actually, I'll show it and I'll come back to it about people like this. Mehdi Hassan saying, it's very simple. If you're not a white supremacist, you shouldn't get really annoyed or upset when the president condemns white supremacists. Right. Classically binary thinking. Right. It's either good or bad because <laughs> that's the, you don't have a job in corporate media if you're not willfully stupid like that. The bottom line is we get mad or let's say I get mad because he's not talking about only white supremacists. He's talking about whatever they sweep up in their broad, ridiculous discussion and narrative and definition of what that means. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this discussion here, right? Well, their enemy number one is white supremacists, yet they're currently funding open Nazis, neo-Nazis, and fascists, who are then openly stating about how they want to spread the white race around the world. What else would you call that? See, but they're not calling them white supremacists. They're calling them something else. So right there, you can see that this person is stupid, that you're not willing to look at the full picture, because when he says white supremacist, he's talking about a lot of people that have, are nothing of the kind. So when you make it simple and binary and say you either are with us or against us, you can go stand next to George Bush along with the other ridiculous people, right? That's how that works. But it says that the same government that he says inadvertently paid for their training, when they got back from Europe, the training was used to carry out the violence seen in Charlottesville. This is not easy to miss, or this is easy to see, right? So they trained them. And then literally that group and their international arm carry even carrying tiki torches that looked exactly like the ones they were carrying in with the Azov movement in Ukraine. He says more irony in the quote below, quote, it is important to note that the rise above movement was heavily trained by the U.S. government for their skirmishes with mostly white Antifa in Charlottesville, Virginia and Berkeley, California. So it's on the record. They're going, you know, the government trained these people. Similarly, disgraced alt-right leader Richard Spencer has not shied away from openly supporting neo-Nazi groups while promoting President Biden's policies regarding the conflict in Ukraine. How do you make sense of that? Usually it's kind of a one-stop shot for these people, which I think that's the, what this person seems to serve as. You know, he'll come up and be like, I support Trump. And everyone's like, see, <laughs> he's a Nazi because Spencer agrees with him or whatever the dumb, the way they make that dumb connection. But it's funny how on one side they're going to say, see, Spencer's promoting this group, but then at the same time supporting Biden and Ukraine, but they don't, well, that's, we don't care about that one. Okay, well, if it's basically this ubiquitous point that if Spencer supports it, then we should point at it and say it's bad. It's weird that you don't point at Ukraine because he's supporting that too, but you know why that's happening. These talking points were weaponized by Joe Biden's election speeches, and the irony is that under an Obama-Biden admin carried out a coup in Ukraine in 2014, which they made a regime change, which you know about. We've talked about this. And since we're here, Let's play some of these clips. Here is a Ukrainian general telling you how this went down. Господин Пурчин 
господин Яценюк, господин Чернобок и же с ними. Я это заявляю открыто и достоверно знаю, что это проплаченные агенты Центрального разведуправления США. Ведь мало кто знает, основной беспредел творил господин Ахметов, Ренат Леонидович, господин Коломойский, глава Всемирного Еврейского Конгресса, господин Фиртош и же с ними. Все вот эти олигархи. А теперь это просто прямая оккупация Соединенными Штатами Украины через подставных лиц. And here is you, the McCain and Graham in the location. Well, actually, let's play this one first, since this is obviously about the, the election, or the, well, specifically the Maidan Square lie, and the fact that this was a U.S. government operation. But don't, don't miss that he mentions Kolomoisky, who, right, don't forget, is the chief finance backer behind the Azov movement. Oh, and interestingly enough, he also completely funded Zelensky's campaign. But don't don't look at the facts because they don't want you to see any of this stuff. On February 20th of 2013, the world was shocked by video footage of snipers firing on protesters in Kiev, Ukraine. 21 people were murdered, and it was widely assumed that President Viktor Yanukovych and his supporters were behind the attacks. However, a phone conversation between EU foreign policy chief Kathy Ashton and Estonia's foreign minister Urmas Payet, which was leaked to the public on March 5th, reveals that the snipers were actually from the new coalition government, and that Western diplomats knew this and covered it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that he has some sort of, how to say, trust among all these Maidan people and, and civil society. And second, what was quite disturbing, the same Olga told that, well, all the evidence shows uh, that people who were killed by snipers from both sides, among policemen and, and people from the streets, that they were the same snipers killing people from both sides. Well, that, yeah. So that, and then she also showed me some photos. Uh, she said that has medical doctor. She can, you know, say that it is the same, same handwriting, the same type of bullets. And it's really disturbing that now the new, uh, new coalition that they don't want to investigate what exactly happened. So that there is now stronger and stronger understanding that behind snipers they were. It was not Yanukovych, but it was somebody from the new coalition. For some reason, the <clears throat> and you've heard that many times, <clears throat> and it's it's. And I love how Kathy Ashton's like, yeah, oh yeah, 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 like we we all know, like like don't you know? I thought we all knew that. You know, it's like it's just so behind the scenes obvious. And then here's here's you know, it's just ridiculous how we pretend like there's no influence here. All the corporate media screeches at you about how you're a conspiracy theorist, but here you can have documented information or a video of of McCain and Graham in 2017, literally addressing the Azov movement. And at this time, they were on the record not supposed to be funded by them. They were on the record being called Nazis and dangerous. But here they are telling them, our fight is your fight is our fight. Нашого народу і нашої держави. І я як президент і як верховний головнокомандувач хочу подякувати кожного з вас. I admire the fact that you will fight for your homeland. Я захоплююсь тим, що ви боретеся за свою батьківщину. Your fight is our fight. 2017 will be the year of offense. All of us will go back to Washington 
and we will push the case against Russia. Because they're not involved at all, though, right? I mean, it's just painfully stupid. But going forward, he writes, and two interesting side notes here. We have seen on the recent mass shootings the number 14. Now, this is an interesting point that I didn't even connect. That I, We've talked about the 14 because we've read these documents live on the show before. But check this out. And this is something that people... Uh, it's another connection to these shooting conversations because it's not just about the Azov movement, the rise above movement and the overlap. We have obvious connections to some of these shootings that tie directly back to the Azov movement. And they just never really want to talk about that, like Buffalo, for example. But it says we have seen the recent mass shootings, the number 14 written on the rifles used. We've had many guesses as to why what they mean. After reading this, he's convinced that this is what it is. Now, it's his opinion, but I think he's right. As you can see here, it says. Notwithstanding Daly's admonishment, the Rise Above movement and its members documented their white supremacy extremist ideology in both private and public Internet postings. In a video taken by the Rise Above movement associate, later posted online, the Rise Above movement associate asked Rundo to say, quote, the 14 words. Based on my training and experience, this is from the FBI documents, I know that, quote, 14 words refer to a slogan commonly known and used by white supremacy extremists and neo-Nazis that states, quote, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. Runda responded by saying, I'm a big supporter of the 14. I'll say that. Well, isn't that interesting? Now, this either means that these people are actually radicalized to the point where they're writing this on there, or there's a reason that the agenda is being, they're writing this so these connected points can be used when the time comes to lay the feet or lay the groundwork to make it look like what they want want it to be. I truly believe this is about laying the feet of Russia. There's already arguments being made online about how, oh, I did an entire show about this. All the Nazi elements, turns out, come back to Russia. Oh, look, all of the leadership in Azov are actually Russian people. There are arguments. They're really trying to lay that. It's so obvious that was, been the, that was the plan from the beginning. And so my point would be this is being written on there. So then you can try to make that connection. Right. That here, this is, you know, little clues. They're going to connect back. The same point here. It simply says in this affidavit, while it seems the perpetrator of the Christchurch mosque massacre didn't travel to Ukraine, as he claimed, he clearly took inspiration from the far right movement there and wore a symbol used by the Azov movement. And to sum this up, it says the United States. I thought there was another picture, actually. It was not much further down, I think. He says, the United, quote, the United States has for years funded, trained, and armed the Ukrainian regime, while inadvertently, through the support of groups like Azov Battalion, given direct support to the extremists, both within the U.S. and abroad. It's not inadvertent, guys. You can prove they went out of their way, legislative-wise, legislation, to get arms in their hands. So how can you pretend on the record that it's inadvertent? He's quoting the article. I'm not him, but that's what the article said. It's not inadvertent. You can prove that. So why would they try to make that case? It's obvious this is falling apart. The, and, and then even if it wasn't inadvertent, it's amazing how they want to ignore the, the accountability there. A group of 31 Patriot Front members were arrested in Idaho by police, and they were arrested for conspiracy to riot and other charges. We talked about that. Patriot Front was there to rally against the LGBTQ pride rally. Shocking. Obviously, these things are being jammed together. This, this was said to be done by police who said they had active informants among the group. And we talked about it then. So knowing they admitted to having people inside, everyone immediately said they were FBI. Here's he's claiming. Here's why this isn't true. Patriot Front was started by a man named Thomas Russo, who we've talked about right after the Charlottesville riot went terribly bad, which I don't think it went terribly bad. I think it went exactly the way it was planned. Rise Above Movement were there. We're not only the, the, not the only group there, which we've talked about. The Unite the Route rally in Charlottesville. And this is the point. Vanguard America was the predominant group there, right? Vanguard America is what the Patriot Front is what Vanguard America was. 
that is they broke off from them and this is the group now. So it's interesting to see that it's still the very same group. And now you can prove, and we've already did, by the way, that Vanguard or Patriot Front or Rise Above Movement are all directly connected and all tied directly back to the Azov movement. They're just breaking them up, just like we saw in the Middle East with these moderate rebels. We'll just call, we'll split them up. We'll call them something new and pretend like you don't know anymore. But it says America was another group, uh, Vanguard America was another group present that day and was involved in the violence, which Rousseau was a leader of. Rousseau took the section of Vanguard America, about 70 or 80 percent of the group called the Southern Front, and changed that to what we know as the Patriot Front today. It's not hard to see these lines. Rousseau basically gutted the group and uh, and infighting and other issues led to Vanguard America dissolving. Now, that's the public narrative, but it seems to me that people started paying attention. We started recognizing that Vanguard America was obviously and directly tied back to the people we're talking about, so they broke it off. But now you can clearly see the Patriot Front is the same people in the same group tied back to the same group that ties directly back to the Azov movement. And then even further, as he's pointing out, that even since then, you can tie the same people back to working with the groups in the Ukraine and in the United States. It says, uh, going forward, something very important to note here is that Russo was 17 when he formed the Patriot Front. Alenia taught Rundo how to proficiently organize younger, impressionable minds. And the way to do that back then, according to the FBI doc, was discord servers and groups. You will see that proof that proofed later in the article. This prior arrest reflects Russo's age in 2020. So you can verify it. And it says these groups know a lot of each other's members since they share similar worldviews. And you can see here that Patriot Front accepted dual memberships as long as they were transparent about every action they were committing. It says, with the quote, with the formation of Patriot Front, Russo instituted strict rules on dual membership, requiring members to disclose affiliations with other organizations. He also required members to disclose activity on a regular basis or risk being purged from the organization. Well, I think what he's getting at here is that these are, you know, it's not necessarily military or that they're like people keep pointing out how uniform they are and how they're marching and how they chant, like acting like those are all indicative of, of military government, which it, it can be. But he's saying that this is just that they're that's how they train and so on. But that doesn't necessarily say that that's not why. Typical offerings include disturbing flyers, distributing flyers and banner drops, proof of which are posted to Patriot Front social media accounts almost every day. Here's an interesting overlap. As we just talked about in, in the UK, where they're trying to kind of frame a podcast as distributing material, which I guess it's an argument you could make, but it's not the same thing. I think the reason they do that is because there are laws about distributing certain kinds of content, but we're talking physically because you're putting it in front of people that might not have a choice to see it. Podcasts or videos, they have to go to it to see it. Very different. It's interesting they're doing that. Interesting we're seeing people arrested in the UK for doing a podcast with the guys that they distributed material with the intent to incite violence. Going forward, a very interesting picture we were able to catch from the most recent coverage of the Patriot Front arrest in Idaho was the picture from a video here. A few of the members were wearing these T-shirts, which the Knights of Templar logo on it. Interestingly enough, these shirts are made by a merchandise shop owner owned by Robert Mundo, head of the Rise Above movement. So now you have yet another connection, and you could argue that's just because they share ideology, but it's hard to see, it's hard not to see the overlap. In fact, you can prove it, is the point. First photo below is of the arrest of the Patriot Front wearing the shirt. And then here's the shirt from the shop owned by the leader of the Rise Above movement. And that's the same shirt. And the same, you can see the Templar thing there. And it goes on to say that another excerpt from the FBI case file showed that Ben Daly of the Rise Above movement offering members in exchange for lodging with each other white supremacy groups to go represent them and can be seen in the screenshot below. Patriot Front was always mocked 
for the way they entered events with renting moving trucks from U-Haul. They all wore masks, very physically fit, sunglasses and khakis. Patriot Front and Rise Above Movement have similarities in which they train. When the cops arrested the group in Idaho, they uh, came in a U-Haul truck, found shields and spears and sticks, and deemed them as weapons. The Rise Above Movement also trained with shields and stick training, as you can see in the screenshot below. Now, does this, to me, this may, almost makes the opposite case, right? That they all have very similar military-style government training. Now, that, you can't, that, you, that doesn't necessarily immediately prove that, but there's an interesting connection there. With everything else, it's hard not to see this. Same modus operandi, and interestingly enough, it says the Patriot Front loves to be called feds, or at least that's the outward point. And it says we can thank Joe Rogan for this. Patriot Front was having issues recruiting, and Joe Rogan was mocking them on one of his podcasts. Now, this doesn't seem genuine to me. Like, not that this person's lying or anything, but just the idea that, so we're going to argue that that they want to be called feds? I mean, that doesn't even make sense to me from any perspective. But on top of that, that somehow Joe pointing out how ridiculous they are drove people to join them? I don't buy that. Look at these guys. This is Joe saying, where's the fat people? They all come and wearing the same clothes, making this general point, talking about how they look similar. I mean, that's, that's a very surface level point, surface level point. Maybe they're real, but he's calling BS, Joe Rogan says. Really says something about the system when half our guys weren't even in step and we're, all in this, and we're not even all slim, and yet we're already being compared to the highest intelligence office in the state's disposal, says the Patriot Front member. I just, okay, so I mean, why would we take what they're saying at face value? They could be making this up. Regarding Rogan's statements, another, and added another, the best part is that we'll just keep having demonstrations and the same people wonder why us feds haven't stopped yet. I just, I don't believe this. That's my personal opinion. These are statements coming from the very people, and if they were feds, then why, this is probably what they would say. Doesn't mean that proves anything, but it says calling them feds is hiding what they really are. Now, here's my main point. Calling them feds from some people's argument mindset means that every one of them are the government. Now, I don't really buy that. I think it's very clear that this is an agenda. And there are obviously people that eat this stuff up. But there are obviously people out there, just like we see on this, the partisan arguments on any topic, that just like to be in the situation to be able to push the limits or make arguments that make people look stupid or be someone trolling other people or you know any number of things. Or people that just like to be able to have control over what you can say or all sorts of things. And then you just have people that maybe just believe what they're doing, and then people that just want to push an agenda, you know, the government, military, so on. But my point is, you can tie this back to the government, no question. So calling them feds, yeah, it needs just be, it needs more nuance to it, in my opinion. And he says, honestly, what they want you to think is that they're feds. Now, I don't believe that. Rousseau is learning from the past mistakes they committed in the Unite, to right, Unite the Right rally. Well, I don't think there were mistakes. I think this was an agenda. And he's saying to avoid future arrests and to change public perception about who they are, they mask their identities and mostly stay off socials besides Gab and you know Telegram. They keep physical fitness charts and so on and so on. It seems pretty organized to me. The problem with all this still is that the U.S. government inadvertently trains these groups as proven above, not inadvertently, as I've proven, uses these vile groups to paint a broad brush of the Amer entire American first movement. Now, there is the overlap. So this person still clearly sees that this is whether... The point about whether the U.S. government is doing it on purpose or not is still using this. Now, if you can argue that inadvertently or not that they're, they're using what that image is to broad brush all conservatives, why can't we take another step and go, maybe it's on purpose? And I'm not saying they didn't do that. Maybe they have and they've proven that's not true. That's what I'd like to reach out. But either way, I think this is where we come together on this, that we clearly can see they're trying to make this about everybody on one side of the argument. 
regular law-abiding citizens just because they wear a red hat and oppose abortion or whatever. We just we just talked about this. FBI doesn't have to infiltrate every group like we know they did with the Proud Boys, Ray Epps, Stuart Rhodes, and Oath Keepers. But we just they literally just admitted they have people inside, so they did infiltrate them. So that's not up for debate. This is they got in a narrative with January 6th, and we know Ukrainian operatives like Sergei Dabinian were there as well. Any group can be infiltrated. Well, here's an interesting point. Well, let me just finish these last two. We'll go to that. He says his opinion is that the FBI ignores these groups until they get their desired crime from them. Now, that's very possible. So we're basically coming to the same conclusion. He just kind of thinks that they don't do it on purpose. I don't know, man. I feel like it's a very clear argument to make that they're doing this so they can use it, which is what they usually do. But come to your own conclusions about it. In any case, I'm glad to see that we're all seeing the the broader picture here that it's about framing people so we can shut down discussion we can control speech we can control action or they is the government's what i'm talking about but and then they use those crimes as narrative warfare that i agree with we are we the people are then punished for it we need to be better than the fake news we have to report facts not every group which i really respect i really like this my point in general is that i just disagree no just no negativity i think this is a great thread you should check out now i disagree at some points i should say now, here he gives you, you can check out and subscribe and so on. Now, the point about the Ukrainian, though. Well, first of all, realize we do know that they did influence these groups. That they, like, Enrique was an FBI informant of the, of the Proud Boys. Or was that, yeah, Proud Boys, right? Not the Oath Keepers. That's Enrique. Anyway, point was we know that they have done that. So we just need to ask whether that's exactly the point. But the biggest thing to me that stands out is how interesting this was. Now, here's a couple points, just quick deviation on this. This is who we're talking about. Oh, dang it. So when you type in the name and just search for it, here's what comes up. And this is coming from Radio Free Europe, you know, the cr- classic propaganda. Well, they're saying, look, he's a leading investigative journalist in Russia, known for exposing corruption among the Russian political elite. Of course, this is the narrative they want to spin, despite all the evidence. Well, here's what's interesting. When you actually click the link and look at what they're arguing, look at who they're showing. He's one of the leading investigative journalists. Now, save for the possibility that there's a very specific overlap with the name, despite the fact that what they're reading off here is, in fact, the exact discussion, saying right here he's affiliated with the Azov group, but yet still at the same time is somehow pro-Russian or working with, or, you know, investing, or rather, what's interesting is it does seem to say exposing the Russian political elite, but either way, the point is, at the end of the day, that this is not the same person. Just showing you how what a weird little sleight of hand is being played here. And just to be clear, you can very clearly prove this is the guy we're talking about. And this, there's a lot of information to get into here. But here is another thread. <clears throat> another Somebody, again, who sees some of these pieces but seemingly can't, or maybe there's disagrees, and maybe I'm wrong on it, but has a different opinion. He says, among the tales of intrigue from January 6th is what was Ukrainian, Sergei Dabinian, a member of the Nazi, neo-Nazi Ukrainian parliament, or it's the right sector, the Azov movement. There's an overlap to all of this, but they're, they're both neo-Nazi elements. I think it's very clear he's part of the Azov movement based on everything we're talking about, but either way, part of the Ukrainian neo-Nazi military groups doing at the Capitol with this guy, Jake. And we've talked about all this. Now, here he is in 2014. A Russian, and of course, when this came out, they all were, that's not him. You guys are lying. And it, yes, it very clearly is him. It's all been documented. He's in the Donetsk airport. Now, it says anti-Putin pundits claim he was an info warrior for the inter-TV. That's what I was talking about. Owned by this fugitive oligarch and beneficiary owned by Putin Powell, proving the dark hand of Russia was behind the Capitol riots. Here's my point. 
This is not even concealed. They clumsily tried to make this argument, and I'm convinced this is why this person was there. They were trying to make the element, the connection between this January 6th discussion and Russia being behind it. And then would tie back to the Russian Nazis and Neo and and that's your vanilla ISIS and all this different stuff they were pushing. They were trying to make it out to be something he wasn't. That's what I think this is actually about. The point, and maybe that's why the image was changed. Who knows? But here he is. Basically, you know, in in context of Ukraine, but the point is you can go forward and prove what he what he really is. Now, it says Putin friendly pundits contend, and this is the information you can look up for yourself, that they use the Ukrainian uh, or rather that is he is a Ukrainian supporting neo-Nazi who was wanted on criminal charges in the pro-Russian Donbass region, which he is. Picture below is his arrest warrant. Now, he goes on to say so. And this is what he looked up and did his research on. He got a medal from the former Ukrainian president, Poroshenko. He is wanted by Russian forces in Donbass. He, he was at the Capitol riots on January 6th. And it is in this he argues that it's la-la land that he was in cahoots with Democrats. Now, I'm not saying I'm making that argument. I think it's not that simple. I think it's the government, the intelligence apparatus that goes beyond our partisan, childish, binary thinking about all, all this. But to say it's not in cahoots with the government, I, I don't agree with that. But it says, and Antifa BLM to thwart Trump may, you know, then he makes this argument that I don't even know if anybody was really truly standing, like some people maybe, but the argument that all of this was about trying to stop some disclosure of true information about the way the election went down. I don't was that even what January 6th was supposed to be about? Were they going to break in and expose information? <laughs> or was it really about the idea of just protesting what they think was a, a stolen election? So it's a, it's a strange kind of take on this. But overall, when here's some of these images he's showing. He finishes by saying pro-Putin pundits claim he is a member of the Ukrainian fascist right sector paramilitary forces and publish a pic, the blood and red soil. And you can see him wearing this stuff. I mean, this is not up for debate. And show the connection. But he goes, the, the, the tinfoil hat crowd chimes in, of course. Then anybody that's going to go in that direction, it undermines, in my opinion, their general credibility. Just go well, conspiracy theorist. It's just a lowbrow, non-thinking concept. You can say somebody's wrong, but to make this derogatory comment about conspiracy theory, which is about what? Theorizing about how people can conspire. How is that in any way meant to mean fake? It's just dumb. But in any case, he goes on to say Democrats were working with Ukraine as, a, as well as the U.S. militants, Antifa and BLM, to stop January 6th presentation of election fraud. And maybe I'm missing a part of this or not remembering, but either way, I'm not arguing that's happening. I think most people are just simply pointing out that it was about how they were being framed there. But an evidence on Trump's behalf, but it says claim pro-Russian pundits. Now, I don't even know if that's the case. But you can see the, the evidence we've talked about, the Ukraine, the Azov movement flag, the work, that, and the direct tie back to the Azov movement, the Russian government, and his arrest warrant. Now, you could argue all that's a big fake story, but that's all the, all the evidence points in one direction. But it says, then this footage, and this is the important part in my mind, by Ukrainian television channel, points out that he was there yelling, Come on, do it. Don't be scared. Telling them to go in, let's do it faster. All in Russian. Here's the video yourself. You can watch it for yourself. Come quickly and bolder, bolder on the video of the storming of the Capitol. They heard Russian speech. Now, you know why that's being posted on a Ukrainian platform? Because the entire plan, in my opinion, was to do this. Was to say, look, we knew it. The Russians made this happen because they planted that there. But the reality is you can prove this guy is not what they say he is. Now, I did an entire show on this. Where was that? Of course. Forget which one that is now. But in any case, I've talked about it many times. Oh, I remember which one it was. 
January 6th was always. This goes in very deep into the actual, you know, the reality of the Antifa guy that was there saying, we got him, we tricked him, we did it, and all this. It's very clear, as well as, you know, the fact that he's there and the, the whole overlap was very clear government operation. And I think that's what we're looking at here. And I think that's important. You know, all these little data points. Now, you can co- please come to your own conclusions about it, but just realize that what we're talking about overall was this clear effort to create exactly what's happening right now. Now we've got the Patriot Front doing the same thing with direct ties back to the exact same group. It's only so much we can ignore. Now, here's a, a clip that's been circulating broadly right now, and this is, I'll play the video. It's saying a, what he's saying as a Fed, I don't know if we can prove that, but it's a guy who somebody recognizes because I guess he has his mask pulled down. The guy, the guy, the Patriot Front member grabs the phone from the guy and tells him you're not allowed to do this. Now, take note of the way he's speaking, you know, whether that's indicative of, you know, military or, or government or so on. But why would he be so concerned about the mask and seeing his face and so on? That it's just I'm not saying that proves that he's government, but it's interesting. And I think it does add something to it. But as Brian O'Shea says, unacceptable is a word that I never heard so much until I joined the military. After the military, it's a word that I noticed was overused in federal law enforcement agencies because so many of them came from the military. Here's the clip. Oh, yeah. so you're videotaping? Did you just take my phone? You're videotaping us? That's not acceptable. This is a public place. You're, video- you're trying to get us in trouble, sir. I need a cop. Go find one. I'm deleting the video. No, nope. you're not going to touch nope, my you're phone. Not. You're not taking the video of us. I look, my dude, mask down. I recognize you. Yeah, I know you do. So give me my phone. I'm deleting the video. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure that could be fake. Who knows? Anything's possible today. But it's interesting. The guy's simply saying, well, I recognize you. And you go, no. And, I, and he literally takes his phone and tries to delete it. That's very interesting. Consider that for what you will. Now, on the other side of this, we have an obvious... Infor- that I, we, I mentioned this yesterday, but it's important. By the way, on a quick note, it's very clear to me this is probably going to be a two-hour show. <laughs> You know, it's hard for me. Sometimes I don't know. It's two topics in my mind seems like a quick thing. But obviously, there's a lot of information. So, you know, not that I'm apologizing. People love my long shows anyway. But I think it's funny how I somehow seem unable to kind of see how long these will be before we start. Daily Mail came out with this uh, yesterday. Now, we, we mentioned this yesterday, but this is, this is an interesting and important story. Because of the ultimate point here. And it makes it's, it's very clear. I don't even know how you go dispute this. But it's saying FBI's quote, abuse of power, three whistleblowers will lay out how the Bureau has, quote, inflated domestic extremism stats and prioritized January 6th defendants over child predators. We, we just pointed something like that out yesterday in bombshell hearing. As it says, Je- Representative Jim Jordan secured the in-person testimony from former FBI officials Garrett O'Boyle, Steve Friend, and Marcus Allen, who have been, who, all who have been suspended for vocalizing concerns. That's pretty crazy. The witnesses will detail on Thursday how they have been retaliated against by speaking out. The officials say the FBI has inflated statistics on domestic violent violent extremism to fit the Biden administration political narrative. Now, the second part aside, whether it's to fit Biden's narrative or not, it's I think it's undeniable that they're they're inflating this. And I'll show you why I think that. Now, this was highlighted. Let me try to find this again. Now, he's basically saying... um, the hearing, okay, this was important too. The hearing is set to be held at 9 a.m. Eastern Time Thursday this week and will focus on the, quote, abuses of power. They will be given the opportunity to detail how they have been retaliated against. Now, it says, according to the notes from the interview, the former agents specifically expressed concerns with instructions from the FBI leadership that they focus on pursuing domestic violent extremism probes after January 6th. 
Yeah, and it says, in addition, the former officials told the committee that they were instructed to pursue January 6th investigations over child sex crimes because they were no longer a priority. Now, as far as I can tell, nobody's disputing that. That's incredible. Right alongside the obvious discussion over the push, the sexualization of children. And I'm not talking about just trans. I'm talking about any version of whether we call it adult cabaret or anything. Sexualization in front of children, period. I don't care what narrative you insert around that. Nobody can say that's acceptable. Or the UN and WHO documents that seem to normalize the idea of children being sexualized or outright sexual consenting with minors, which is not even possible. These are these are very clear things, and it concerns the hell out of me. So now that we have on the record at multiple FBI agents saying they literally said no longer a priority, that's pretty wild to me. But it says specifically the former agents accused the FBI of inflating statistics on domestic violent extremism to fit their narrative. The manipulative case, the manipulative case file practice creates false and misleading crime statistics, constituting false official federal statements. Here's what here's what I think is obvious and undeniable. Instead of hundreds of investigations stemming from an isolated incident at the Capitol, right? So essentially you have January 6th, and that's the incident, right? And then they can they begin to investigate hundreds of people, m- many of which aren't even connected after investigation, or some that aren't anyway, but they still pursue. And that gets represented as hundreds of individual extremist cases. How do you not see what that is? Even, even if you think that all of them are, you can't then start acting like that in each individual case represents some kind of explosion of violent crime because the vast majority of people that were even present who, and that were even investigated were people that were just simply there, that were filming or that were walking through. Think about how wildly dishonest that is. The, it, it, so it goes, this, it goes on to say, instead of, uh, and then it goes on to say, that the FBI and DOJ officials point to a significant increase in domestic violent extremism because of that act. Friend has his security clearance revoked when he simply vocalized concerns, saying, isn't this dishonest that we're making this look like it's an explosion of violent extremist terrorism when all we're really doing is an investigation into whether or not they were even involved with January 6th, let alone whether January 6th was that? And of course, you can't say that today, which he then he argues was retaliated against and has been removed. His clearance has been stripped. Now it says Allen, who has not yet set, uh, sat before a select committee, is expected to present his new evidence. So we can wait for that. The hearing comes after Republicans published 1,000-page reports last November on the FBI and the DOJ politicization. The report includes information on disclosures from 14 different whistleblowers that revealed FBI leadership demonstrated a, quote, political bias against conservatives, manipulated domestic violent extremism statistics for political purposes and downplayed the investigation into Hunter Biden, among other allegations, abuse of power. One of the largest accusations lobbed at the FBI is that the agency has worked to force out conservative employees. During the select committee's first hearing, lawmakers dug in on that in that issue specifically. Jordan said the hearing was being conducted to shine a light on disclosures by the good, brave FBI agents who are willing to come forward and give us the truth. Now, there's always going to be political ends here, always, no matter what. But if it really does amount to this entity trying to remove these people, I don't think that does, that thing that aligns pretty exactly with everything else that's happening, right? This idea that clearly, whether they make it, they state it publicly when put to the when asked directly, there Biden in numerous conversations has made the argument that this is MAGA or the conservative movement or about just basically 
everybody on this side. And then whether or not you think he means that, what that then gets argued online, everywhere else by the rabid followers of this ideology are actually blatantly saying that. And then we just showed the document just last night about the concepts and how we break it down that if you are a Republican, or even specifically, they don't say Republican, but you know you have certain beliefs. You know you oppose abortion, and you believe Trump should is the president. Well, you are now. You they're telling you report that. They're saying you see those things together. You reach out to us because that might be extremist. Why? Because they have beliefs you disagree with. Yes, that's exactly what they're doing. Well, taking this one step further, I just saw this before I went live. This came out today. Whistleblower IRS removed my quote entire investigative team. On the Hunter Biden tax probe at the DOJ's request, you know, the, the Hunter Biden laptop that they, we've that's been completely proven to be real, that he's even now petitioned the location about because of this divulging his information. But it's fake, though, simultaneously fake. But Hunter Biden trying to get it back. Fake, though. I mean, think about how wild this is. Now, that doesn't mean you have to believe everything that the, under the umbrella of the Hunter Biden discussion or the laptop, but it's real, guys. And this was suppressed. There's no denying that. And now we're starting to see that people are being removed from their post because they care about that. It's kind of hard not to see this. Now here, coming back to this point, is you get these kind of ridiculous people out there who are binary thinkers, or rather, you know, because their paycheck demands it, or maybe not. He said it's very simple. After all we just discussed, right? If you're not a white supremacist, you shouldn't really get annoyed or upset when the president condemns white supremacists, except when he broad brushes an entire half of the country or half the political two-party paradigm and argues that they are, or simply because people are arguing that if you are a certain kind of person that we know, wink, wink, that you are. That's why we get mad. You can, (laughs) whatever. I just, these people really bother me because I actually think that he knows what he's doing and he just doesn't care because it's good for business. Here's another tweet. The level of anti-Semitism and pro-Hitler views on the Republican side is just out of control. See my point? They're not even hiding this. They are literally going after everybody that is a Republican because it's good for business. It, this is the new Russiagate mentality. This is, the, this is what you do. They're all Nazis, didn't you know? Meanwhile, hurry, we got to fund all the Nazis in Ukraine. Hurry! But we're not calling it that. And should be a much bigger story, he says. And this is, of course, Rachel Maddow because, you know, you can trust her, right? Didn't she get it all right on Russiagate? Isn't that what happened? Oh, no, that's right. It was exposed that every single part of that was a lie, and they completely pushed the narrative, and, and that's how she even got famous and popular. But what it does show you is that, if that's even true, by the way, is that in corporate media, the best way to succeed is to lie just the way they want you to. And they all know this. It's been proven throughout all. Look at the Iraq war. As we've sailed, every single person that was like, nope, that's not real. Nope, there's no WMDs. They're lying. It's not true. They all got cast aside, conspiracy theorists. And even though they got shown to be right, they never got their, their clout back. And everybody that lied directly the way they were supposed to about Iraq, well, they got promoted. And if you think they don't subconsciously or even on the surface recognize that, then you're not paying attention. And that's called manufacturing consent. But here's the actual article. Here's all they're saying. Rachel Maddow names pro-Hitler speakers. Now, look, I'm not going to say I know these people's minds. And to be quite frank, I don't even know much. The I'm not even sure who Scott McKay is and Charlie Ward. I think I, I think I know who that person is. The point is the idea of simply by association, by saying, look, these two people, look, we know how flimsy their accusations of pro not. They say that about me, guys. <laughs> I mean, it's just dumb. I mean, it's verifiably untrue. So if we know that's happening to some degree, 
And then to say simply because, well, these two people are pro-Hitler or Nazi or anti-Semitic or whatever their broad terms are, which maybe they are. That's not even the point I'm making. And then to say, well, because Eric Trump was there, therefore, they're all Nazis or therefore it's all disgusting. I mean, look, guys, look, and here's an interesting point. They were speaking at what they're, what they're calling the, the Reawaken America Tour, which we spoke at. I, I recently spoke, or excuse me, didn't speak, but was present at and interviewed people at the recent, uh, the local, the one in Tennessee. Because I will happily, the point is, it's, it's to make it simple, to, to pretend that simply because they were there at the same event, which is huge, with all sorts of different people from all sorts of different perspectives, to say that they're all now guilty is just dumb. I mean, it is lowbrow discussion. But that doesn't surprise me for either one of these people, which, by the way, is what is it? Meaty, Medi, Medi Hassan, or ridiculous Rachel Maddow. Somebody in the chat saying Charlie Ward is a Q spook, which didn't surprise me at all. But the, the point is, guys, it doesn't matter. They could literally be in Nazi uniforms. The point is that people are going there to speak to other people. They were invited to go speak. And the idea that you can then just pretend that because they're also there. I mean, look, if they were sharing a stage, maybe you could make an argument. But that's not what's happening. They're just also speaking at this event or also on the bill. And she goes, oh, my God, I can't believe they're even still doing it. I mean, who takes these people seriously? Again, even if you think I'm wrong about what I just said, you can't miss how dumb it is for them to make this huge stink about how they're speaking at an event that also hosts what we arbitrarily call Nazi supporters and then openly say we need to fund the Nazis in Ukraine, except call them something else. You can't miss how ridiculous that is. So the biggest fight is white supremacy, and the biggest entity that is embodying that is the group that you're funding more than ever right now. You either choose not to see how dumb that is or you don't care. Or don't know. I mean, I guess that's not the right way to say that. But either way, the point is people are ignoring this. The U.S. is set to announce, this is new, this is from May 8th, a $1.2 billion aid package to Ukraine as early as Tuesday. That's today. Or no, actually, that would have been last week. But it says, according to the U.S. official familiar with the package, more and more and more money dumping into their hands. And by the way, now long-term weapons, which means they can pretty much strike anywhere in Russia, as I understand it, or which they already were doing. They've already assassinated people in Russia, and nobody seems to care about that. It's just unreal how obvious and stupid all this is. But as I've said before, you can very clearly see who these people are. It's not a secret. They're open about it. And people like Maddow are either too willfully stupid to see it or just don't want to look at it. It's, it's right in front of us. And they were the ones saying this was a problem right up until February. And then they go, nope, nope, nope. Now you're down because Putin. January 6th, the failed false flag meant to blame Russia and you using the CIA-grown Azov Battalion. This one was about the documents, which we've shown you, about the CIA building fascism that you can read for yourself, which drives, ties directly to the Azov movement. The Azov movement ties directly to the Rise Above movement and also to the Vanguard America and through that directly to the Patriot, Patriot Front and all the rest of the groups we're talking about. They are directly connected. It's not hard to see. And then, of course, just including this, I did an entire general segment on this a couple, like a month ago. Institute for Policy Studies, the CIA's worst kept secret. Newly declassified files confirm the United States collaboration with Nazis. And this goes way beyond Project Paperclip, and they don't even get into Project Aerodynamic. 
right? This, this is published in 2001 and hasn't been updated since then. But even at 2001, they were already arming and funding what was going on in Ukraine. That was very clear. That's the time frame. But realize that this is not even a secret. So with all of this on the table, think about how ridiculous it is for certain people out there to pretend like this is not what you're looking at. Their job, their finances, their income depends on them not seeing this. Incredible. Well, all, while we're talking about this, let's talk about what's going on in Ukraine and the potential for this very serious event to be hurting the average people on the ground, which is always what happens. So we recently talked about this again in the last show we just did in regard to the government's toxic legacy and the dangerous reality of the munitions they're using, specifically depleted uranium, but also because of the burn pits and everything else they do which you could argue is just incompetent or with disregard for the people around them, which is despite, despite the fact that they're screaming, they're fighting for those people. But I think it's more than that. I think these are, it's a combination of, of that lack of concern, knowing that oh, we'll just burn them here because we don't care what happens to this place. On top of the fact that they take active measures to create this situation, to destroy food supplies, to just destroy soil for decade to come. They're doing that. They've been doing that in Yemen. They did that in every location we could point at. So you watch this if you want these, the, the full background discussion. And it's the beginning of this article or the video is about the toxic legacy. But <clears throat> I didn't know when I did the show yesterday that the explosion that happened was allegedly the depleted uranium. I guess I missed that. So let's get into that. James Porazo uh, points out, watch how not a single supporter of Ukraine will criticize the UK for providing depleted uranium shells, the destruction of which is now endangering Ukrainian civilians because they don't care about Ukraine at all beyond it being a useful weapon against Russia and Putin. And he says, comments here completely confirm the foreign supporters of Ukraine could care less about the long-lasting harm having these weapons on Ukrainian soil would do. Google depleted uranium shells, Iraq, for some examples. Exactly. Now, we should, I should point out that I don't think you can prove that we know for sure, and I'll get into what I do have, the evidence of the geolocation discussion, that I think proves that's an ammunition depot, which they're lying about. So right there, it should call into question everything the Ukrainian government is saying about this. But I don't think we can prove just yet that those were, in fact, depleted uranium. If you have information on that, get it to me. I'll talk about it tomorrow. But here's the explosion, the picture of it. Here is the moving, you can see the, the image of this exploding. Now it says Russian drones strike ammo depot in Ukraine, where supposedly the depleted uranium ammunition, which is publicly discussed now, they've admitted this, acting like it's no big deal, which is where I'm going to make a big point about this, was hidden. If so, this will cause cancer and deformity to the people there, which, again, it's a, gener it's a, it's a commonly understood thing. And yet the UK and the United States, they all go on acting willfully ignorant. Well, that's no, we don't know for sure. Just like we don't know for sure these injections are killing everybody. We don't know. Let's keep doing it, though, until we find out. That makes sense, right? Now, this is dangerous. Now, the point we're going to get into in all of this is, one, whether or not that depot was, there was depleted uranium held there first, and then discuss the overlapping information about how we know the potential location and the implications of what that means for Russian action as well as the Ukrainian government. But then, it, you know, despite, uh, you know, irrespective of that, the real risks of depleted uranium, both just being present as well as exploding, Right regardless of whether it was there and then but then taking that information and considering what that would mean if this just happened and showing you the utter disregard for the actual civilians they pretend they're fighting for that comes from both sides if this is what happened russian and u.s governments i'll show you what i mean 
Now, here, here, by the way, is just a couple different angles of this, as this person writes. Friday's massive airstrike explosion. This was on the 14th. Patriot missile defense system failed to intercept massive strike, which is an interesting point to think about, right? Supposedly being armed to the teeth by the best military in the world, and the same thing we used to argue about in Syria, where they would force different countries to have their S-300s and so on, right? Or their version, and then... Or this, this actually happened in Saudi Arabia with Yemen, right? Or, or the Houthis. And the idea that they weren't stopping anything. And it seemed like they kept failing. And they, they kept getting their missiles through. And they kept going, oh, we were facing the wrong direction. <laughs> I don't think that's what's happening. I think these are, these are lesser systems that have been shown to be lesser systems that are, you know, about the lowest, com- like the, the lowest bidder in the same way that we see the bureaucracy work in this country. Doesn't mean they don't work entirely, but here we have another example of the Patriot missile system seemingly not stopping what just happened. Now, they probably have a narrative for why that is, but either way, it says NATO's ammunition depot is what they're arguing. $2.2 plus billion dollars in ammunition lost, according to this person. I think the numbers are way less, according to most reports. But either way, you can look at all the different versions of this. Very scary sounding. Now, going forward, here we get into the Newsweek article, Huge Mushroom Blast, is on the 15th, in, uh, uh, I'm not sure how to exactly pronounce that, let me know in the chat, if I can even phonically read it, Kamel Tanisky, reignites depleted uranium claims. You gotta love the way they frame this stuff. Now, here's what gets into the information I think is important. A viral video of a huge explosion near the city that we just mentioned in Western Ukraine has been shared widely along with unverified claims that a depleted uranium storage facility was hit, which I agree. I don't think we can prove that's exactly what was there and reports that radiation levels were rising in the aftermath of the strike. Well, what they're really doing is, you know, plucking out one. There's a lot of floating information out there and people saying that radiation has been rising. I'm not even going to get into that because I don't think we can prove that first of all, but I also don't think we would see a measurable immediate response with what we're going to get into. It's more about the, the metal toxicity and what that can do, both inhalation, soil, on the skin, everything. But there is a level of radiation, and I'm going to show you how they outright dismiss that, even though they're wrong, as always. Concerns about the safety of Ukrainians' nuclear facilities include the Zaporozhye power plant, currently under Russian control, as well as Moscow's nuclear saber-rattling, which, by the way, is literally non-existent. It's so stupid how they keep for misrepresenting the opposite. The only person right now with a strike first nuclear stance is United States and Israel, which they don't, you know, they're and the UK, I believe. Israel pretends they don't, we're not supposed to know what they really have. But at the end of the day, R- Russia has repeatedly argued that that's not the case. Now, I think they have actually moved up to maybe a first strike stance because of what they've been doing. And I actually, I forget whether that ended up, I forgot to follow up. But in any case, the point is that what we've continued to show you is the opposite of what they're framing. That Ma- Russia does. Remember when Putin or Biden came out and said he's threatening nuclear biological weapons? That didn't even happen. Those words even weren't even uttered. But on top of it, what they do point out is that there's all sorts of things on the table, just like the U.S. does all the time. Nothing's off the table. Totally benign, they would say. But then when they say that, they lean into it and say he just threatened every kind of attack we could possibly know. It's just really, 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 you know, juvenile. And it's all about team sport politics, so nobody seems to care that it's tapped into the narrative as opposed to the facts on the ground. But in any case, the point is, have fueled fears of escalation throughout the 14-month Russia-Ukraine war. Well, remember, the Zaporozhye power plant was a risk when 
Putin was trying to bomb it because they were trying to explode it. And that didn't happen. And then Russia took it over. And then when Ukraine began bombing it, they were like, Russia's making it a risk because they won't give it back. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So now you're the one bombing it, but that's not the risk. It's just so stupid and obvious how they frame these things. Ukraine's government is shown to be wildly inept at their propaganda. So now they control the area. Okay, well, explain for me if Russia was hell-bent on exploding it and causing a nuclear disaster, why they didn't do that and it's been in control for a long time now. Because that was never the point. All it was was a bunch of fear-mongering nonsense coming from people bad at propaganda. But it says, like, like Ghost of Kiev and the thousands of other things that we've proven that are not true. But it says, but with little official com- uh, commentary from Moscow or Kiev about the Russian strikes on targets across western Ukraine, which took place on the night of May 13th, striking images of huge explosions recorded in the, in the town, added fuel to social media speculation, and resurrected existing narratives about so-called, so-called, Newsweek, you're pathetic, so-called depleted uranium. No one's even disputing that they're there or that they're called depleted uranium. <laughs> but apparently Newsweek wants you to undermine the entire thing. Like maybe they're not even there at all. Maybe they're not depleted uranium. They're just normal bullets. Just quite, you know, it's, it's stupid. It's not up for debate. The UK, as we'll get into, the UK has been like, yeah, we did it. We, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. UK sends depleted uranium shells despite health concerns, says Euronews. But here's Newsweek going so-called fake news stuff that we're not even sure about because we don't want to even research it, which is how these dumb fact checks tend to go. I'll show you one of those in a moment. Newsweek Misinformation Watch assessed the veracity, oh, I think it's this one actually, the veracity of the claims and speculation around the subject in an attempt to figure out what really occurred in the western Ukrainian town. I'm sure they really care about the information. Hey, Zelensky, what happened? Okay, fact check done. He goes on to say, quote, according to information, the value of the ammunition destroyed is about $500 million. Well, that's coming from I think, on-the-ground information from Ukraine, and I think that's only assuming that this is a, an old Soviet location as opposed to having the new ones, I think. That's, but bottom line is, generally speaking, I think most are even more than that in estimates. But either way, it's a lot of money. <clears throat> then it goes on to say, if NATO arms depots that Russia is blowing up contain depleted uranium munitions as supplied by the U.K., those areas of Ukraine may become hotbeds for lung cancer birth defects as the dust from those exploded depleted uranium, depleted uranium munitions can contaminate large areas of land for decades. Uh-huh. Just like with Iraq. And we're going to prove that again in a second with just a couple brief overviews. But they want to pretend that's not true. Why? Because they have a horrific track record of broken, destroyed countries and dead bodies that they've left in their wake. The U.S. government. Using things like this, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm talking just first with the bombing campaigns, which we'll get into again, but also with the decades-long repercussions of willful actions to basically poison people. Just like with Vietnam, just like with Iraq, or pretty much anywhere you want to look. It's not hard to see if you care to do, to do the work. Look at it. Look at their own documentation, as opposed to looking at what they tell you things say. Other accounts on Twitter and Telegram posted charts of purportedly, quote, rising radiation levels that they claim were observed in the hours following the strike. These are amplified by multiple reports in Russian media outlets. Some post reference and shared graphs taken from Save EcoBot, a Ukrainian service monitoring nuclear radiation levels across the country, as well as graphs attributed to the European Commission. Okay, well, you, did you catch what I caught right there? It's very easy for them, apparently, to go, these things purportedly claim that this is happening. Is this not a fact check? 
So shouldn't you have been like, let's find out and dispute or confirm it? Nah, because they don't want to know. I don't. I honestly am not concerned at the moment about. I, it, maybe there's more there that we don't know about, but apparently we do have reports that are claiming, and this, as they said, even comes from a Ukrainian service that are suggesting that there are rising new radiation levels, which actually would make sense with what we're going to show you next. And yet they leave it as they when they say they purportedly claim this. What do you think the readers of these dot magazines think? Oh, that's fake then. Because they're, they're telling us it's all not real. So when they go, they claim this and don't tell you it's real, well, that means it's fake. But that's not what they're saying. Isn't that pathetic? Like these fact checks are so weak. Where they love to do that when they go, well, this person claims this online. And then they just move past it. And it's, it takes 10 seconds to do the research. You can look at the account and find out what. But nope. Because I don't think they want you recognizing that there probably is a problem right now. Now it says gamma radiation. In Western Ukraine, after the explosion of the ammunition depot with reportedly depleted uranium weapons, was a tweet from a, an account that saying there's a lot of people sharing this information. Now, of course, what you're going to see is the pro-Moscow is how they would frame me or anybody else because I say the thing they see as pro-Moscow, even though I'm not pro any government. But you see, that's just how the dumb two-party paradigm kind of nonsense works. But see, you have two sides of it here. You have the Ukraine side saying, not real at all. In fact, it was critical infrastructure. They bombed schools and hospitals and stuff. And then the other side saying, no, it's pretty clearly an ammunition depot. And then leaning further and saying, maybe even depleted uranium. But it's funny, the gap between those two sides. And eat the people on Twitter, dudes, choose one and fight for it. Facts be damned. But it says what we know and what we don't. Not While not all of the facts and information about the multiple strikes on Western regions of Ukraine have been fully established, there are several elements of the viral conspiracy narrative that are provably false, misleading, or lack evidence. So it's funny how they, they frame it as a viral conspiracy narrative, which to most people just means fake, but then say lack evidence, which means that, in, at least in some of that case, that you don't know whether it's a conspiracy narrative or not. But you, it's just, this is just clumsy. Their job is to undermine certain things. That's what I'm convinced whether the writers know that or not. Well, let's find out what they think is provably false, misleading, or lacks evidence. First of all, the shelling, which took place in the early hours of Saturday, May 13th, was widely reported in local and international media, with officials on the ground saying that at least 21 civilians were injured in the attack that involved multiple drones and missiles. Now, I don't dispute that people could died in this. I don't know. I mean, I'm gonna, I'll show you Moon of Alabama's report that seems to suggest that people were killed. I don't, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I've never argued that Russian military can't carry out bomb. And I'm, I'm going to make a big point about this, especially with what I think is actually going on that clearly suggests that Russians government and their military made a conscious choice to make this a problem, knowing people will be hurt by it because it's tactically a smart move. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean, but that's despicable if that's what happened. But what's interesting, local reports, well, I don't know why anybody anywhere in the world would take anything local Ukrainian reports at face value, not because in a general sense, but because of every single thing they seem to say ends up being false. I mean, just roundly, you, the ghost of Kiev is the one everyone knows about. But we've talked about the, the uh, member of their government that lied about Russian pe raping people and then came back and was like, I made it up. And this, everybody forgot about that. They pretended it didn't happen. Or a number of other things, using video games to pretend they shot down Russian jets, lying about Zelensky being on the front lines and using pictures that were old. I mean, it's just everywhere. But that doesn't mean that Russia's not doing it too. I guarantee they are. But what's interesting is how why you would take that at face value. But then international media 
or officials on the ground. Well, first of all, international media is parroting what the local and officials on the ground are saying. We've proven that a hundred times over. Officials, officials on the ground, that's the Ukrainian military, the Azov movement. So why would we believe them? I'm not saying we dispute it or dismiss it, but because they said so is not even remotely something that carries weight today. Local authorities said that schools and medical institutions, administrative buildings, industrial facilities, and private homes were damaged by the explosions. Maybe, but as far as I can tell, and we'll get into the actual geolocation data, that's a complete lie. Shocking. The Russian military at the time claimed it hit an ammunition depot and a hangar, while Ukrainians said the targets were critical infrastructure. According to the investigation by GeoConfirm, a Twitter account that geolocates visual content from the Ukrainian war, there's little to support the notion that what was hit in the facility were depleted uranium shells. Well, that's not actually what they're saying. Now, I think the one we have up is, I have a couple of them. Yeah, GeoConfirmed is one of them. I mean, it's, it's, it's really pathetic how that's how they have to mis, even misrepresent something you can just look at. All they say is that we can't confirm it. That's it. We'll support the notion. Well, I mean, I guess that's the, essentially the same thing. But the way that they're framing this makes it sound like it's just not true. The truth is that we just don't know. Now, I would argue that ultimately we, there is some evidence that this is the case, and I'll get into it in a second. The researcher cites pre-war media reporting and public records that suggest instead that it was a Soviet-era ammunition dump. Okay, well, here's the problem, though. The Ukrainian military is saying that's not true either. Okay, so even your own ridiculous fact check just proves the Ukrainian military is lying to us. But yet we go forward with that as a, you know, ah, that's a side note. We'll keep acting like the real narrative is the lie from Russia. The Ukrainian government just blatantly lied about what happened. They're going, they hit hospitals and homes. And then they're going, no, it was an ammo dump, ammo dump from Soviet era. See my point? While new, and they barely even talk, they, they say that and then skip right past it. If this was a fact check, you would be like, here, they're lying. We can tell. While Newsweek could not rule out the possibility that the depleted uranium shells provided to the UK had been stored there, past reports about the nature of these munitions put a big question mark over the claim. That's the best they can do. Now, I agree. I don't think we can prove rule it out. It, it could be there. But what they go on to do next is just basically misrepresent and lie about the situation. So you could, so you, what they're doing is a whataboutism concept or like saying, well, here, here's where Russia pretends that these are dangerous. Okay. Even if you think that's a lie, how does that then undermine the fact that they might be in that location? That's what they're doing. They just want you to think because Russia's making it out to be that these are dangerous, that therefore that means the entire thing's a, a conspiracy theory. You just literally told us, I mean, that, that's the point about them saying the so-called depleted uranium, and then two paragraphs later going, they're definitely there. Just maybe not in that location. Just, it's, it's disjointed and confusing. But it says, it is true that DA munitions depleted, oh wait, I think they meant DU. Yeah, that's just a typo, apparently. That DU munitions are radioactive and thus are considered to be controversial despite their continued use by Western militaries, as well as production by countries including Russia. Except the fact that you can, and I'll, I'll finish what they say here. However, as Newsweek reported, no definitive conclusions have been drawn on the environmental impacts of DU. That's completely false. We'll get into the peer-reviewed science that they apparently just missed in their extensive due diligence. Or the EU document that literally goes over the dangers, right? Or multiple other reports coming from the Royal Society. Or other peer-reviewed research that literally says there's lots of danger here. But apparently Newsweek said fake news because there's no definitive conclusions. What does that even mean? The study found a pretty obvious conclusion. There's danger. 
And it was repeated by multiple other studies. So when the government steps up and goes, we disagree, they pretend like that's up for debate. It's the same thing with all the dumb stuff happening with the injections. They step in and go, I don't know. There's a we, we think something else is happening. Well, we don't know for sure. That becomes nothing definitive, except it's very definitive. You have all the evidence and facts and the government denying it. It says, or the effects it could have on the human body. Also denying the real obvious effects, saying nobody's concluded that's the case. Lies. Their radioactivity is something of a red herring, as the real danger appears to lie in its toxicity as a heavy metal. Now, the second sentence I agree with, but the idea that the red herring idea, they, they want you to think that it's not radioactive. And their main point they're trying to make here is that Putin says that the, um, essentially that giving them depleted uranium could cause a nuclear problem which is not necessarily incorrect. Now, let's get into this. First of all, as I showed you, it's not debatable. They did send these shells, and so did the U.S., by the way. I, I did a whole focus on that. Even Euronews is making a point to say, despite health concerns, so there's not even, it's not debatable, as we've been telling you, and I'll show you in 10 seconds. Now, it says, how Russia has used depleted uranium. Of course, because they want to make it sell. They're trying to tell you there's no danger that's a conspiracy theory. But, but let's also point out that Russia does it too. Okay, if you're telling us there's not a problem, then why would you try to be like, Russia does it too, like a six-year-old? Well, because to pretend Russia does it too in some way justifies that you're using it. But why would you need to justify using something that's not a problem? <laughs> you know, I don't think they think these things through very much, but it says here, although their use in Russia's current campaigns remains unconfirmed. Cool. So you wrote an entire article about something you can't confirm. That's called propaganda. It says it again right here. There is currently no concrete evidence of Russia using depleted uranium in Ukraine, but it, quote, would be incongruous if they're not using it, says a Ukraine, a Russia expert, which probably has never been to Russia and really knows anything about it. But, you know, he's an expert because he is in the think tanks. I'm just being, making a joke, really. I don't even know who the person is. Depleted uranium rounds are a key part of their armory. Well, that's just not true. Now, yes, they have them in, in storage. Now, maybe they're using them that I can't see, but show me where they're being used. Show me where we can prove these have been used in Ukraine this entire time. If you can't show any evidence of that, it's very clear to me that they are not part of their... What, what the, the word they use. Well, it's just that there's not part of their armory, whatever they're arguing, that they have them in storage. Like a lot of these places have... The U.S. has all sorts of chemical and biological weapons they're not supposed to talk about, or they're supposed to be destroying, or even nuclear weapons they were supposed to be removing, except they're all making more now. So who cares about the non-proliferation treaty? We just move forward. The point, though, is that you don't have any evidence of that. So their entire argument is Russia does it, and that's why it's, you know, under just beneath the surface why it's okay that we do it, but you can't even prove that. That's just ridiculous. But here's from the Ukrainian side, turning the whole thing on its head and saying, you're all wrong. Didn't even happen. The head of the RMA denied the fake about the alleged explosion of ammunition during the Russian missile strike. So despite even Newsweek's ridiculous fact check, pretty clearly finding that it was an ammunition depot, here's what the Ukrainians want you to think. And then ask yourself why anybody takes what they say at face value. Now, I'm not talking about Ukraines at large. I'm talking about Ukrainians at large. I'm talking about the Azov movement, the government, the politicized discussion of this. Oh, wait a minute. Did this reload? Or was it this one? Dang it. I think I had this highlighted and lost it. This That must have been the other one. Why isn't that working? In any case, let me look real quick. It says the, it was stated that the 
According to him, some of the Russian missiles were shot down. He says, we don't know what the targets were determined by the Muscovites. Remember, that's a derogatory term, right? Everyone's freaking out about misgendering somebody. Here they are calling them derogatory content just publicly and then being reported by the corporate media. It's just people are, these people are parodies of themselves. It's ridiculous. But it says, but where the rockets landed is a terrorist act. It's okay. First of all, if it, we're talking about depots and ammunition, well, that, it's ridiculous to frame everything Russia does as terrorism. And you know, it's the same thing we just talked about. But it says a crime against humanity. Why? Well, because these are civilian objects. Well, if that was the case, well, yeah, that, that needs to be called out. Seemingly interesting, though, how they don't care about that happening all over Palestine or Israel's government just directly targeting civilians all over the place. And then even publicly saying that we will we will bomb these areas if they do something, which is called collective punishment, where they knowingly bomb civilian areas in a general sense. If anything happens, then we can even ask whether that even happened, blah, blah, blah. The point is that's obviously happening in Israel, occupied Palestine. Or we can point out the civilians being starved and bombed and attacked in Yemen, or it's the same thing that always happened in Venezuela, or the same thing that's happening in Afghanistan still, or the same thing that's happening in Syria. It's still going on. We just talked about Syria. So even if it is happening, it's important to understand that it seems they only care about it when it's happening when their adversaries do it. But both of them matter. It's not what about ism. They're both important. The point is we need to prove either side and realize that if they're saying civilian objects, well, we should prove that, right? We shouldn't just take at face value what they're saying, especially since they've been caught lying at almost half, more than half the time I've seen. But he said in the first shelling, it damaged warehouses, agricultural goods, and humanitarian aid. Right. You tell me if this looks like humanitarian aid. Clearly. I mean, this is how stupid they think we are. So agricultural goods and humanitarian aid. Now, maybe they're trying to make you think, oh, maybe there's fertilizer. Oh, there's a big bar. That's But even then, that was the kind of game they played in, I think, Beirut and the places. is We're being lied to, guys. This is not some random thing. This is, at the very least, an ammunition depot or something more. Then it says, in the mass media and the internet, information is being spread that a warehouse of ammunition with depleted uranium has been destroyed. This is a fake. Now, it's interesting that they don't, they talk about the depleted uranium and say it's a fake. But you could argue that that means it's still an ammunition warehouse, but up here they're saying that's not the case. It is launched by those people who work for the Muscovites to stabilize the situation and cause panic. I officially declare no ammunition exploded during the missile attack. There is no depleted uranium. There is nothing to worry about. After the missile attack, the Russian Ministry of Defense informed the area that a long-range air and sea-based high-precision weapon was struck at the locations of the units of the armed forces of Ukraine and the storage of places of ammunition, weapons, and military equipment from where the Western countries, or that came from Western countries, which insinuates that it's depleted uranium. <clears throat> now, it says here on, May, on April 25th, it became known that Ukraine, together with Challenger 2 tanks, which used depleted uranium shells, received those shells, in particular depleted uranium from Great Britain. The British Ministry of Defense informed on May 11th that all the promised Challenger tanks had arrived in Ukraine. May 11th. Kind of interesting to see the time frame, right? And then two days later, they directly target it. And now all they just want you. It didn't happen. Well, seeing as how it's obvious, I think that it's ammunition and they're lying about that. I think we've caught them in a lie. But you can look through the geoconfirmed information. You'll find, the, and this is even what Newsweek was pointing at, not that it makes it valid. But it's in, you can look at, they break down the different geolocations from different angles. A lot of different people doing the same thing. Here's the POV. And, the, and it gives you who geolocated it with the thread. You can check for yourself. And, you know, it breaks this stuff down. It goes into the different locations. Now, just to cut to the chase, 
because it's basically just showing you the same different the different locations broken down the location is that ultimately and i have the other one up here too i i think i find it easier to look at when it's on twitter then what they're showing you here where was it this brings us to it says a soviet former ammunition depot so essentially triangulated using different locations and it's saying 30 in 2011 30,000 tons of ammunition were stored three kilometers from this town the, the one where it just happened so at the very least it seems very clear to me that this is ammunition depot and why wouldn't it be used to store these two days ago in the same location i mean it kind of makes sense now you can see that this was the location that was bombed now what we can show is that this is in fact a location that is not what they're claiming and then we'll go over to the moon of alabama point to show you what i mean and then uh, oh here's right here that, well, this was the thread just online and you can look through for yourself all the different data and the triangulation. Now here is May 15th, Moon of Alabama. And he says, in the early, early morning of last Saturday, they destroyed a large ammunition depot near that city we just discussed. The pictures show the depot before the strike and after. The depot sat at a rail line some 5,000 meters from the west from the city center. And it's likely that the explosion destroyed not only a large ammuni- amount of ammunition, but also a large number of windows and cities and caused some casualties. Right, so that doesn't that, that makes sense that that would be the case. Now it says, uh, I think that was it. Yeah, it's saying that the city is some two hundred kilometers from the Polish border. The depot was likely held ammunition that was coming from the west to go to the front lines in East Ukraine, which makes sense about what this would be. Right now, the main point for me before we get into the actual risks of this stuff is to add, is to think about what that what the implications would be with this. Right, so first of all. It seems very obvious this was a targeted ammunition depot. And the and then why Ukraine would want to lie about that, I mean, maybe just to hide the fact that they exploded a bunch of their ammunition, which seems to be very important right now. Not just because ammunition is important, but because there's an obvious game being played about, you know, they're acting, they're going to run out, they're going to run out. The point is that if they lied about that, it seems more indicative of trying to hide something bigger. That'd be my opinion. And so what does this mean? So if the way this seems to make sense to me, and this is just my opinion from kind of trying to suss out motive here, which is completely opinion and, and guessing, would be that obviously they sent depleted uranium. And obviously Russia's aware of that because Russia actually said something and said, that's a problem. I said, those are dangerous. And not only just that you giving, giving depleted uranium is dangerous, but the fact that you're giving these kind of people the high-level weaponry, this is going to lead to a serious event. It was generally what he was getting at, but obviously did point out the nuclear aspect, or rather the radio ra- radioactive aspect of what these are. I'll prove to you next. So, with that being said, that when you're knowing this breakdown, it makes sense to me that Russia would then go, oh yeah, oh, no, oh the point I left out is that then the U.S. government, as I pointed out, steps up and goes, you're lying. As we just showed you in Newsweek, they quoted the U.S. government. They're, they're not dangerous. We use them all the time. They're super normal. Okay, so Russia goes, okay then, I'm going to call your bluff. I'm going to target that depleted uranium. I'm going to blow it up, and I'm going to cause a very serious disaster in Ukraine that you're going to have to ignore, because if you point at it, you're going to have to admit that you lied about the danger of Ukraine depleted uranium, and then that will retroactively admit that you've been using it in all these other countries. It's just a thought, but it kind of makes sense. But that also shows you, if that's true, that the Russian government would knowingly cause that disaster, despite the fact that it would cause a lot of harm to the civilians of the area. And I wouldn't say that. I would say that makes perfect sense. It, because governments do that. They will make a, a choice about what's best for their agenda. And the secondary point, if at all, would be about the people that it gets hurt, they get hurt by it. And, but the point is, 
Is that not tactically very smart? Of course it is. That's not to say good or bad. It's just tactically smart because it puts them in a weak position. It removes a lot of ammunition. It stops them from being able to use that dangerous ammunition. And it puts the problem right in their backyard. And then the U.S. is going to be forced to ignore this. And somebody, if that is what it was, is going to point this out. They're going to go, what is going on in this area now? Look at all the problems. Ten years from now, we're going to look back and say, look at all the birth defects. And people go, there you go. It's, it's, it's interesting to think about. Now, this is just a theory. But going forward, let's talk about the actual risk here. So aside from the fact that that was am- depleted uranium, understand that no matter where it's being used, this should be a really big deal. And it's not just the U.S. government, guys. Realize it's a lot of their allies, too. The point is this is being used. And it's unbelievable to me that they pretend like it's about density. This is a weapon, guys. This, or, I mean, obviously, but this is a, a... I was talking about this earlier today, this morning. It's like I want to call it something else, right? So if it's got the... It's, it's, I mean, you could almost call it a chemical weapon if we're talking about the toxicity of the metal and the chemical properties to it. But if it has the radioactive part, it still just is a kinetic weapon. But I feel like even a nuclear weapon is its more than a kinetic weapon, right? Because of the nuclear fallout. So it's, it's hard to place it in chemical, nuclear, biological, however you want to look at it. But the interesting part is that it is still being used. And I, it's very clear to me that it's not even remotely about the density. There's other things that could be used. And they know and have known, and I'll prove it to you now, the long-term and immediate risks. And I think that's exactly why they use it. Really quickly to go over a couple of quick points from this. Read this whole entirely because this will, it will keep you up at night. Birth defects and the toxic legacy of the war in Iraq from 2020. Now it says here, we begin logging cases, these cases in October 2009. Remember, the war is, the occupation starts in 2003. It says, and we have determined that 144 babies are born with a deformity for every 1,000 live births. God, that's disgusting. And then up here, actually, it says, while most of these children do not survive, some live for weeks, months, or years, often in pain with grave disabilities. 144 out of every thousand, which they compared, they compared to Iran, and it's wildly over the top. It says here, when Iraqi scholars and doctors catalog incidences of death of birth defects and note that their rates exceed that of Hiroshima. Just to place that in your mind. We all know Hiroshima, right? We all talk about the horrific event and, you know, except we all pretend it's about freedom or something. And really it was after the war was already ending and they decided to use it anyway. Easy to look up. But the point is that this is about a, a, the use of a nuclear weapon. And yet what's happening in Iraq, you are seeing a higher level of birth defects than what happened in Hiroshima. And we don't talk about that. Then it goes on to say, in Lebanon, Iraq, Afghanistan, Palestine, and Syria... These ecologies, like the tracking of how the environment has changed and the, the situation because of the war and what they've done, are not always accidental side effects of military operations, but are instead central components of military strategy. And that's what we're talking about. It says the Americans wanted this, these Iraqis are telling him, all the ones he spoke to. If they didn't, they would have cleaned up the war, cleaned up their wars. They starved us during the sanctions. Now they're poisoning us. That is a sad, repeated story around the world. At hearing to shock and awe, and this, if you haven't heard this, will blow your mind. At hearing to the shock and awe strategy, the United States launched 800 cruise missiles within the first 48 hours of the invasion in March 2003. More than double the number of missiles launched in the entirety of the Gulf War. That's the first 48 hours. 
Then it says between 2002 and 2005 alone, the U.S. Armed Forces expended 6 billion bullets. That's roughly 200 to 300,000 bullets for every single Iraqi killed. Think about that. This number of shells full of lead and mercury, not even talking about depleted uranium, does not include larger ordinances or the metals remnants from after 2005 or from previous wars. The Iran-Iraq War, where chemical weapons were used, given to him by the United States. The first Gulf War, the sanctions era, 1991-2003, and the 2003 occupation instigation of a further decade of militia warfare. The most recent military intervention in Iraq was accompanied by an unprecedented waste abandonment and waste burning. Discarded vehicles, weapons, excess weapons, discarded clothing, and much more were all left in Iraq's land, air, and water. It says studies based in Fallujah, which sustained extensive damage during the U.S. assault between 2004 and 2008, show a high rate of congenital malformities, 15% of all births, 15%. Intentional, uh, international activists accused the U.S. Department of Defense of negligence for using a weapon in Iraq, depleted uranium shells, that distribute toxic waste where civilians live, grow food, and draw water. Oops. That is by design. Additionally, U.S. bases in Iraq used burn pits to incarcerate everything from computers to tires to open in large open air pits. They burned day and night for years straight, which, by the way, we're now seeing directly affected the people that were burning it. U.S. military. Not that that should matter any more than any other human being, but the point is that these people were also being used by their government and are suffering long-term effects, and they're having to quibble and fight to get paid for it. They released high levels of dioxin, look at that, and innumerable other toxins that are known to cause health problems from birth defects to neurological issues. Some Iraqi babies born near Talil Air Base were found to have neurological problems, congenital heart disease, paralyzed or missing limbs, and elevated thorium in their bodies. And weirdly enough, the closer they were to the base, the higher the levels. Think about that in the context of the BSL-4 labs, Georgia, and the the testing they're in, in the country, and it's it's everywhere, guys. Now, it says almost everyone he met in Iraq identified the high prevalence of birth defects as post-2003, directly related to the war. This kind of just makes, this makes me sick. Most of the women he talked to have healthy children from before 2003. And either miscarriages or children with severe birth defects afterward. He said it was common that they would line up their family and children by age so you could literally witness the line of pre and and, and before and after the war. So children born up until 2003, fine. Children after, not. It's, it's It's these obvious realities. And yet we quibble about this because team sport politics. Well, here are some studies about this. So Newsweek wants you to think that it's not dangerous. Or any of the government wants you to think, you're ridiculous, you're a conspiracy theorist. Ukraine wants you to think you're lying about all of it. Well, here is the toxicity of depleted uranium in 2010. I promise you they know about all of this. It says, while depleted uranium is less, less radioactive than natural uranium. Now, we have depleted uranium, naturally occurring uranium, and then enriched uranium. Enriched being the highest, natural being in the middle, and then depleted being very low. But the point is not none but less. So there's obvious radioactive components to this. And yet they just want you to dismiss it because it's not real, but it is. It says it still retains all the chemical toxicity associated with the original element. That's the metal side of it. The toxicity in large doses, the kidney is the target organ for the acute chemical toxicity of this metal. So not even talking about the radioactive part of it. 
We know this stuff is so incredibly dangerous, and they use it anyway, producing potentially lethal tubular necrosis. In contrast, chronic low-dose exposure, like what they're dealing with in Iraq, or in some cases, chronic high-dose exposure, to depleted uranium may not produce clear and defined set of symptoms. Chronic low-dose or subacute Subacute exposure to depleted uranium alters the appearance of milestones in developing organisms. <laughs> Adult animals that were exposed to depleted uranium during development display persistent alterations in behavior even after secession of depleted uranium exposure. Exactly. So it lasts. They had exposed to it, they took it away, and they never went, they were never the same. Adult animals exposed to depleted uranium demonstrate altered behaviors and a variety of alterations to brain chemistry. Despite its reduced level of radioactivity, evidence continues to accumulate that depleted uranium, if ingested, may pose a radiological hazard. The current state of knowledge concerning DU is disgust. Yeah, so they're telling you, if ingested, well, okay, so if it's in the water that you're drinking, which is what's happening in Iraq. If it's in the ground, you're, yes. So it's not only being ingested, but it's being breathed in. It's being aerosolized in the air because of the explosions or because of whatever else is going on in the ground. And then it gets on your skin and all of these are factors. I think that was the only part in this one. Here is a, a document from the EU. Does depleted uranium pose a radiation hazard? It's pretty simple. All isotopes of uranium are radioactive. Both uranium and depleted uranium and their immediate decay products emit alpha and beta particles and a small amount of gamma radiation. Depletion of the U-235 during processing leaves depleted uranium appreciably less radioactive. That's when you're enriching uranium or other processes where you end up with depleted uranium. It leaves them noticeably less radioactive. That's a given, at least what we're being told, than naturally occurring isotopic mixtures. But it says it typically contains... 30 to 40% of the concentration of the naturally found uranium. Not enriched, but natural. 30 to 40%. But then it says this means that the radioactivity of newly produced depleted uranium is only about 60% of the natural uranium. Either way, we're talking about is not a small thing. You're seeing at least half in some with the average there of the actual radioactivity that remains. Now, depleted uranium munitions collected in Kosovo also contain trace amounts of other radioactive elements. So there's other things to consider, but we're going to stay focused on just the the main point here. But they increase the overall radioactivity by less than 1%. Okay, so some, but we're still talking about an increase in radioactivity. So if that's a one-stop thing and it's over, which even then we know doesn't just go away, that's one thing. But if we're talking about shock and awe, massive bombing campaigns using depleted uranium to basically carpet bomb this area and then continue to do it for a decade or years, that is a carrying over, continuing, accumulating problem, which is why you're seeing generational problems. Uranium only poses a radiation hazard if it's breathed in, eaten or drunk, or enters part of the body exposed by injury. Well, good thing there was no explosions. Go, oh, well, I guess they are. So everybody that was involved with being hurt at that point was clearly immediately exposed. But then we have all the other things in the water, in the food, in the area, in your life in Iraq. Here is a post from the Royal Society. This is specifically on radiation from depleted uranium. What they're telling you isn't happening. The radiation resulting from the decay of depleted uranium. So now we're talking about combination of it just being present, but also just that it's 
the, the you know the fact that we have depleted uranium munitions that are in the ground or exploded or pieces the remnants of it that decay over time is predominantly alpha particles but also beta particles and gamma rays all those we just talked about they're all radioactive I mean, that's the, the thing it said very clearly that all of them are radioactive and it says alpha particles are relatively massive travel only a short distance and are more biologically damaging than beta particles or gamma rays. However, they cannot penetrate the dead external layers of over most of the skin and thus pose a minimal direct external irradiation risk, except we're talking about all of these at the same time. The water, food, you know, the entire area has been overwhelmingly dredged in this stuff. Alpha particles produced from radioactive material within tissues are hazardous. And cells traversed by an alpha particle may be killed or may sustain genetic damage that very rarely can lead to a sequence of events that ultimately results in cancer. This type of radiation is often referred to as high linear energy transfer radiation. So no matter how you spin this, it's still there. So you can't just dismiss the idea that you're literally willingly, willingly using things that you know will leave a lasting effect for people. That's not by accident. And even if it is by, well, we want the density so we can pierce these tanks, you're, cha- you're literally choosing that you care more about the actual military activity and the sale of those weapons than the people you pretend you're trying to fight for. Shocking. I know. You guys know this already. Beta particles are highly energetic electrons, and those emitted from DU travel much longer. Uh, ex- exposure to both these particles occur when the DU is handled, and exposure to gamma rays will occur at a considerable distance from DU. A considerable distance. Gamma rays being, I think, the worst one. Now it says, however, the biological damage caused by the passage of beta particles or gamma rays through cells is much less than caused by alpha particles. The radiation from both beta particles and gamma rays is referred to as low linear energy transfer. All right, so clear that these are potentially dangerous. Now here's the most important one. To get into the actual, and this is just overview, saying dangerous, not dangerous, Kurt. This is the statistical breakdown, or rather the the metrics about depleted uranium and what they deem safe and not safe. Then let's compare that to what they tell you happens when you're around depleted uranium and see what you think about it. As always, it's this simple, guys, and it just blows me away that more people aren't doing this. Depleted uranium. And it gets into what it is, and you know, blah, 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 and here's where it gets to the point. There are a number of radiological protection regulations and guidelines. The U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission's regulations, it's weird to me that they differentiate between an occupational dose and an average person. So apparently if you work for the government, you can, you're able to take in more radiation. (laughs) I don't even know why that makes sense. Or because they probably know you're around it. They want to just arbitrarily be like, you're allowed more because we're going to be around it more. They basically say their regulations for occupational dose to individual adults state an annual limit. So an entire year of the total effective dose equivalent of five REM or 50 uh, millisieverts, which is another metric we can use, but we're going to stick with REM because that's the one that seems to be used the most, which stands for Rontgen equivalent man, which I'm not even sure what that stands for. The point is that that's the metric they're using. Five REM per year. Now remember that, we're going to come back to it. For members of the general public, which is what we're actually talking about more specifically, not military, but you, Their regulations require that the total, total effective dose equivalent to an individual member of the general public not exceed 0.1. How is that even possible? So why exactly can, I mean, that's, think about how much more that is. 0.1. I don't even know, what does that break down to? What is 0.1 to 5? That's a huge increase. 
But apparently these people work for the government, so they're able to take in more. I don't even know how that makes sense. But let's go with both of them, though. So I broke these down so you can see the breakdown here for the millirem, which is what we end up using in a lot of these discussions. To five rem is 5,000 millirem. And 0.1 rem is 100 millirems. Now, I'll tell you, I'll show you why this is important. So what they're saying is you as the average person can't take in more than 0.1 rem a year, or otherwise they consider that too much or that's dangerous, according to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Now, it goes on to say depleted uranium, because of the different percentage of uranium isotopes in depleted uranium, its specific activity is approximately 40% lower than naturally occurring. Well, there's the point again. So we're just going to ignore the other 60% of uranium. So it is still potentially radioactive, but lower and far much, much, much lower than enriched uranium. That's true. However, as discussed above, the chemical properties of depleted uranium are the same as those in the enriched and natural forms. It says the chemical and physical properties of depleted uranium are ideal for many military and commercial uses. It is 65% more dense than lead. Now, that's, that's the argument we all hear. Has a high melting point, is highly... Uh, pro, uh, prophoric, it ignites when it in fragments, and that I think is the main point on top of the rest of it, has a tensile strength compared to most steels and is chemically highly reactive. So if you're going to pick out the things that make most sense to the things they do, I'm pretty sure they've got the technology to, they don't need heavy things to pierce tanks anymore, right? So at the end of the day, it ignites when it fragments. That's a, that's a very important weapon to use. Now, oh, that's an interesting point, by the way. You know the image that we're the image uh, of today's show. Take a look at it. What do you think? Just because we see that does not prove that all those little fragments are that uh, white phosphorus has a similar look to it, right? But that's interesting, isn't it? Overlap to that. It, we, it, it ignites when it fragments, just like that. But it says has a tensile strength and the chemically highly reactive. To me, it's about the danger to the average person or just whoever it's being used against. To kind of you know the same way that Israel does it, and you, they they just hurt people so they can say that's you know you do this people will get hurt it's like it's collective punishment trying to scare people away from wanting any more action to happen and also the fact that it's just a more effective weapon but here's where it gets important in july 1991 a large fire occurred in camp doa near kuwait city the site housed a number of combat ready vehicles and a series of blasts and fires damaged or destroyed vehicles and munitions including m1a1 tanks and depleted uranium munitions Troops at the scene and those involved in the cleanup efforts may have been exposed to DU residue. Other troops may have been exposed through contact or vehicles or inhalation of DU containing dust. So clearly there's an issue here. So the idea of whether that exploded is probably why they don't want you to think that happened. In estimating the number of U.S. personnel exposed to depleted uranium and the extent of this exposure, the Department of Defense and their Office of the Special Assistant for the Gulf War Illness, which, again, we act like that's not exactly what we think it is, Categorized potential de de depleted uranium exposure scenarios into three different levels. Three levels. So it's level one, two, and three. Level one being the worst. Level one exposure, the highest level, occurred in or near combat vehicles when they were struck by depleted uranium rounds or when soldiers entered vehicles soon after the impact. Level two, intermediate level, occurred when soldiers and civilian employees worked on depleted uranium-contaminated vehicles or were involved in cleanup efforts after the fact in the fire, inhalation of the dust, and so on. We've got, that's where I think we're talking about overall this. But it says level three, the lowest level, occurred when troops were simply downwind from burning of that ammunition. <laughs> think about how dumb it is. So there, I, I keep telling you, some of this stuff was just burn pits of dangerous ammunition, which is hurting themselves. 
but it says they can, or the DU contained vehicles or the fire and so on. Then it says it has been estimated that the exposure of level one, so the high level of individuals excluded those with embedded DU fragments, which of course we just don't, you know, why, of course that should, the point is that they haven't fragments embedded in their body, they're far worse off, but it says who were inside a tank when a single uranium penetrating entered the crew compartment. Okay, so you get hit by one of these things that has depleted uranium. What it says is that would be 0.48 rem for a 15-minute period. So just using that as a kind of a metric. Now, obviously, lasting or in open areas, it changes it. But either way, just to use the, it's only one of the only metrics we have other than 0.5 over the year, which is also relevant, 0.48 rem. Okay, so the way I broke this down, there are 96 15-minute periods in a day, just to give you something to, to see as a number. So that means in each 15-minute period, having 0.48 uh, of uh, REM, again, which is 480 millirem, uh, millirem, that ends up being, so times 480, that ends up being 46,080 millirem. Okay. So what we're talking about here is the exposure for one full day, essentially, if you were stuck in this location with that explosion. Not dead, but just just the aftermath of the depleted uranium being around. Okay, so keep that in mind in the first part we talked about. Oh, and this was just the the last part I was going to show you on this before we go forward, was that they this whole thing was about these risks and what it said there and and the information. And at the end, they basically just say, the committee makes recommendations in Chapter 8 about fleet uranium. So why in the world do you kick this off onto some other point or page, and then what they actually say is this. While a group of veterans exist with depleted uranium in their tissues, the majority of veterans exposed to depleted uranium is unknown. The committee urges the continuation and expansion of efforts to model potential exposure. So nothing. They kick it down the road. Such efforts may result in quantitative assessment of Gulf War exposures. Isn't that what you were just doing? Further, the committee urges publication of results in peer-reviewed literature so we can have the broad review. No, all this, they just put this aside and move forward. This is from the year 2000. Final point. Radiation, how much is considered safe for humans? 1994. First part. The average exposure in the United States. Just a normal natural day, which who knows if that's because of their problems and, you know, dioxin background kind of discussion in the case of radiation. But, you know, let's forget the the unknown risks that that we shouldn't be there for the moment. What they're telling you is natural sources of radiation is 300 millirems per year is what you already get just by living. An adult, they say, should not exceed 5,000 millirems of radiation in general over a year's period, a grown adult. And actually, no, actually what that is, is the federal employee. It's way lower for, a, for an average person, but the current federal employee limit for an entire year is 5,000 millirems. Well, what I just showed you was that just the full day of exposure in that tank that we talked about, that alone adds up to 46,000 millirems, quite a bit more. So I kind of find it hard to believe that bombing, carpet bombing, what was the number again? I mean, just it's important to understand what we're talking about here. In the first 48 hours alone, 800 missiles. Okay, so they just annihilated this place. Depleted uranium used all over the country, as well as burn pits and everything else we talked about. 
So it's find it hard to believe that if you can gain 46,000 millirem by being close to one of these locations and, you know, just in that one day period that you can't, that you bomb this entire location and this wouldn't have some more lasting effects. But this gets even crazier when you get into the average or the children, a minor. Okay. The maximum permissible exposure for a person under 18, which is the point. There is all sorts of children, both being after being born, but also that were just existing in Iraq when this was happening. Under 18. They say that they cannot exceed 500 millirems per year. 500 millirems per year. So think about the number we're talking about here, right? And if we're talking about the overall being, you know, five, what is it? So they said it was five rems a year. That was like the allowable limit for the average person. It's so obvious to me that this, they, and look, just take it back to this one, actually. Yeah, this one. There's a lot in here, by the way, that you should check out. There's so much in here about the side effects that I didn't even get into. And it's the individual members of the general public not exceed 0.1 rem per year. Now, again, I think I broke that down right here. Oh, there it is right there, by the way, the number of the rem to millirem, just so you can see it right there. Oh, right. Uh, where was it? Sorry. Yeah, right there, 0.1. That's 100 millirem. That's it. For an entire year. I think it's very clear that the amount we can see based on what they said can happen being within just a 15-minute period by being in that location after it's exploded, 0.4 rem for 15 minutes, that it's obvious that the lasting effects is gigantically past what we say is acceptable. And apparently it doesn't matter. But it gets even worse. A fetus. Because we know there were pregnant women that existed there. Well, it says the limit for the gestation period is 500 millirems. So it's very weird to me that it's the same amount for a minor. I find that impossible to believe. Either way, both children, minors, and just average people are being exposed way beyond the amount of the allowable limit. It's just overwhelming. The lies that are spun nonstop. So the bottom line here, guys, and all you really need is to understand the history of their wars and what they've used and why they're using these and how they're giving them out and the side effects that we can prove. Just if you really just take a minute to research all the different studies and all the even even corporate media articles that were written about why depleted uranium is basically a war crime. And yet they just lie. Because they want to give neo-Nazis dangerous weapons, I guess so, probably because they have an effort to make sure they can tie this all back to you somehow all back to your dangerous ideology or whatever they say your ideology is, despite what you actually think. Because there's an agenda playing out, guys. It's very clear. It's clear as everything I've ever seen in my life. But I hope, as always, you will take everything we have, the links in the show notes, and and think for yourselves. Research for yourselves. Ask questions. Question what we're saying. Come to your own conclusions. It's the only way to go forward on this. Because I think it's important. The, the, the most important thing to the agenda right now is to make sure that we don't look at the true culprit, that we look at each other, we point fingers at each other, and we allow them to divide us so we can't actually affect change. That's always been how this works. And now more than ever, we're realizing that we are being focused on, not left, not right, but the people of all countries. Just ask Dutch farmers how it's working out. Does it matter if they're left or right? doesn't. It matters about the agenda. Those are just trappings and window dressings to get you to think certain things that push you into that direction. So thank you for being here and continuing to fight for what we're doing. I love you all. As always, question 
everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.